This week on Dig Me Out. At water was on the corner, turning tricks, clutching the failed boss set of his heartfelt blues licks. He said, I think I like the ghetto better when it was. With your hosts, Jason Diaz and Tim Minichi. Jay, we're back again with another episode thanks to our Dig Me Out Union on Patreon. You can help us make the next episode happen by joining us at dmounion.com or digmeoutunion.com. And Jay, it's a special episode. Very special episode. I'm doing like sparkles. Yes. The more you know. Uh, this is a this is our first interview episode of 2023. Welcome back, Chip Midnight. How are you? Happy to be here. Excellent. I'm doing good. Doing good. Happy Excellent. to be here. And um, yeah, um, I'll tell you. Well, let me tell you, before we even jump into this, I'll tell you that uh, I don't know if I'm going to sustain my, my interviews the way that I've started off the year, but I have a number of interviews done or set up for Dig Me Out. So get Excellent. ready. Well, they're, they're like um, little little candies little surprise candies that you just you just kind of find <laughs> oh look at that i didn't realize that was there or it's like when you stick something in your desk and then you open the drawer like oh, i forgot there was a reese's cup in there isn't that nice <laughs> it's a nice little surprise so ronnie do you yes. share with uh jay and i and our and our audience uh the first interview of 2023 who was it with yeah so this was a good one this is with uh, Chad Clark, Ryan Nelson, and Aaron Nelson. And if those names don't ring a bell, uh, Chad was the, one of the founding members and lead singer of a band in the nineties called smart went crazy. And they put out two albums and an EP. I, I don't, I'm not sure if the EP came out on discord, but the two albums of two full lengths came out on discord. The band broke up towards the end of the nineties. Um, Chad and one of the other members, I believe, can't remember who it was abram i think the bass player um went on to form a band called beauty pill in the very early 2000s ryan nelson was a member of beauty pill in the early 2000s his wife aaron is now a singer in beauty pill but she has just recently joined in the last few years so the interview is pretty interesting it covers the 90s and smart went crazy it covers the early 2000s ryan's time in the band and which is sort of leading into an album that beauty pill just put out on vinyl for the first time it's a re uh not a reissue because i don't think it ever came out on vinyl but it's a combination of their um the first beauty pill album unsustainable lifestyle and you are right to be afraid ep so the early days of beauty pill compiled along with some demos and some b-sides and stuff for a two album collection uh, like I said, Aaron, Aaron joined. I feel bad. Aaron didn't have a ton to talk about because we were sort of stuck in the past. So she does weigh in a little bit early in the interview. But for the most part, it's Chad and Ryan. Another thing I mentioned, too, is it's pretty cool because, um, you know, Chad has one view of those times and everything that happened. And he brought Ryan along to kind of fill in, uh, not, not, not the blanks, but fill in maybe from a different perspective. The early 2000s were not necessarily a great time for beauty pill when it came to critics um particularly pitchfork chad mentions a few times you'll you'll hear some of the stories about how pitchfork 
maybe didn't love Beauty Pill's first record and it caused some some things. Um, sorry, one other thing I'll say is that uh, it is pretty cool. I it, it, there were there was various times in the interview where I was just sort of the fly on the wall. So Ryan's not in Beauty Pill anymore. He and obviously his wife and and Chad are in a band together, but it was cool for me to, to sit back and let Ryan ask Chad questions and Chad answer Ryan. Like I said, <laughs> I just sort of sat back and let the two of them sort of catch up. It was, it was pretty cool. Nice. Interesting. That sounds fun. And if people are wondering about like their sort of now, where they were, do you guys know smart? I was going to say they were in the discord kind of community, uh, with, uh, they, they, uh, well, Chad produced yes. bands by, uh, or, or worked with, in the production end, you know, engineering and stuff with like uh, dismemberment plan and, and Jawbox burning airlines or not Jawbox, but burning airlines. Um, he's also got production credits on a lot of stuff. So people might recognize that name. Um, there's also the Chad Clark that starts with a T <laughs> or is it Chad Blake? There's the one guy who produces like the soul coughing records and stuff. Uh, there's a different Chad. Oh yeah. But his he has a, a T at the beginning. I've never understood that. I don't know. Maybe it's like a his first name is actually like Todd, and he just stuck it on his middle name Chad or something like that. I don't know. Anyway, uh, but yeah, that's a, that's that whole DC yeah. scene. Uh, let me add what they were coming two, out of. Two quick things. Um, yep, and and that's where that's where Chad still is today. Uh, two quick things. I would say follow Beauty Pill on Twitter, Instagram. I don't do Facebook, so I'm, I'm assuming there's a Facebook presence, but uh, Chad tweets quite a bit and he's very open and honest about his music, his life. He, he's been very open. He has mentioned in the press and um, maybe before I started recording the interview, he is on his third heart. Um, so if you follow along on Twitter, you'll, you'll kind of learn about what's going on in his life in terms of his health. He was a recipient of a heart transplant in the last year or so. so like I said, he's, he's very honest and very blunt about every part of his life. So that is, that is, um, is worth noting. It's, and you can, again, you can, you can follow him on. He's a great person to follow. All right. Well, let's get to it. Here is Chip's interview with Chad Clark of Smart Went Crazy and Beauty Pill along with uh, Aaron and Ryan Nelson. Yeah. Thanks, Chip. Yep. And the new dance craze is the same as the old one. The unsustainable lifestyle. There's only so much oxygen. 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 So without further ado, let's start in the 90s, and we have Aaron, Ryan, and Chad, all from Beauty Pill. But we're going to talk about Smart Went Crazy to start off with. However, as we're talking about Smart Went Crazy, um, Ryan and Aaron, uh, I would love to know about, I mean, about your 90s stuff as well. So let's start with Chad. Chad, you grew up in D.C., is that right? Uh, well, <clears throat> I grew up as a kid in, in, uh, New York city, uh, okay. between Harlem and Washington Heights. 
but yeah, I, and after you know, in my adolescence, I was in in DC. Yeah. So graduated high school from in DC. Yes. And that's where uh, Smart Went Crazy started. Was a high school thing, or was it a college thing? No, it was actually after um, after college. I started okay. Smart Went Crazy after college. Okay. I believe. So tell me about, you know, people that listen to the podcast know that um, I grew up a, a suburban 80s hair metal kid, and my life changed when I saw Nirvana for the first time, and literally, like, I stopped listening to 80s hair metal and disavowed all that music for a good 10 years and then came back to it eventually. What, wait, wait, what did were, you, was, you saw, you gave it up after you saw Nirvana, not because you heard Nirvana, was it because you saw them? Oh, no, no. Well, no. I, so I, so my story is that I saw Brett Michaels of Poison do a show in Columbus, Ohio at a venue that holds about 1800 and it was a solo show. And there was probably, this was 1991. There was probably 800 people there. And I had, I had heard Nevermind, but it was right after Nevermind came out. So I went to see that show and two nights later I saw Nirvana. Yeah. And that's, it was, it was all in that same sort of time period of, right. of hearing Nevermind, but then also going from Brett Michaels and Poison and that stuff was on its way down and then just being completely energized and like, like it's, it, it seems so cliche because so many people I, so many artists or people I talk to say that Nirvana kind of changed their lives as well. Um, I mean, it's legit. It's a le- I mean, it's a legit story. I just, I, I have not, um, I don't know that I've met. I think you're my, you're the first person I've met that has that ex- exact narrative, which I've heard is the Nirvana, you know, it's the Nirvana, like it came and changed. Um, and so to what extent did you, what, what aspects of metal did you feel like you were disavowing because of Nirvana? Um, the big hair, the leather pants, the lipstick, the, the style, the sex style. drugs and rock and roll stuff. Yeah. It, it, it I, you're interviewing me here as a, uh, as an yeah, 80s yeah, yeah. kid, as an eighties <laughs> kid, you know, it was, um, uh, like I said, an 80s suburban kid who listened to the FM radio, it was, it was about the image, although, you know, I don't know what it was. I, I, I certainly didn't have big hair or anything, but it was about the when image of- and the party style. And then to see these guys in flannel shirts and boots and like you, they, as far as I knew, they didn't have fake names and they, <laughs> you know, there wasn't, there wasn't a Ricky rocket or a Nikki six. There was Kurt Cobain, which like is kind of as uncool as you could be probably. Um, Interesting. But it was the com like for me it was a little the, bit of like the common the, man, the authenticity, the 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 non the non showbiz aspect. Absolutely. What about what about sexism? What about um like uh hedonism? Like was that part of the the thing? For you? That's such um, a hard question. <laughs> yeah, I was just say no. No, I'm, I, I'm curious. Yes, I'm yeah. curious. No, because Nirvana, from a certain standpoint, is a band with loud guitar, and he's into bands with loud guitar i'm curious what what strikes you what makes you go i'm throwing away all that other stuff you know what i mean like that's interesting to me no yeah no that that that's a good question it makes sense um as an adult yeah you're probably right as a as a 17 or 18 year old kid i aspired not to be like those guys but i looked i looked at them driving cool cars and i perceived them flying around in private planes and having playboy model girlfriends and like, you know, as a 17 or 18 year old kid, I was like, that's what I, man, why can't I have that life? And then, and then seeing Nirvana, 
it was, Nirvana, it was, like, Nirvana essentially was a rebuke to that. They were like my next door neighbors. And, and I like that. I was like, wow, these guys, like I could be in class with these guys at Ohio State University. I mean, these guys look like me and it was a lot different and it made more sense. Like they, it, 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 it brought it. No longer was it guys on big stages and big productions and big lights. It was these guys in a sweaty club. And, uh, and it, that, that spoke to me, I guess. It felt closer, more intimate, more accessible. Yeah. yeah. I, can relate to, I can relate to this because I, uh, like, that was the appeal of punk. I, I was, I, I had a, a metal thing too. Yeah. It, it wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, it wasn't like probably a little bit earlier than uh, like, I, I didn't go on the poison route, but I was like a few years earlier with like the quiet riot route, <laughs> Judas Priest. Uh, that kind of thing. But like, but the first, my intro to punk was like seeing somebody after going to the 930 club, seeing somebody and realizing I could, I could actually go up to them and say hello uh, was crazy to me because before that it was like going to see Van Halen and just being, you know, just seeing them in the distance. Um, so actually having people be approachable is certainly part of the appeal. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm trying to think like, I, I remember trading tapes with a friend in high school. I had Guns N' Roses Appetite for Destruction and I dubbed a copy and she dubbed me a black flag tape and I brought the black flag tape home and I hated it. Mm-hmm. And uh, she ended up liking Guns N' Roses, but it, it took me, it, uh, you know, maybe it's because you were going to the 930 club when you were high school, early college. For me, it was, yeah, it was early, the earliest high school, like freshman. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have like siblings or, or friends that were into that kind of music? My, my story is a little bit strange. Uh, I, I got into <laughs> my brother and I, my brother's three years older than me and we were very close. And my brother and I went to, um, uh, we, we were both into classic rock and we we're both into, uh, we were into our, whatever our version of contemporary metal was like hard rock. And my brother was learning guitar and, and, you know, you have all these guitar icons. I was playing drums and then, uh, and we were just, you know, we were really into Van Halen and Judas Priest and and things like that. Um, I was really intrigued by punk, but I was scared of it. Uh, I grew up right outside Southeast DC and there weren't a lot of punks in my neighborhood or, uh, none that I knew, uh, I mean, I didn't, it's like, I, I didn't hang with bad brains as a child. So I didn't, like, there was nobody that I, that I knew from my specific neighborhood. Uh, but, but I used to ask people about punk and I used to be really scared of it because I thought it was really like drugged out and crazy. Um, and then when I started listening to it, I was kind of in the closet about it. My brother and I had kind of, I played the exploited and my brother and I would kind of make fun of it. And then we'd learn, learn the songs real quick uh, and then play them in the basement and laugh kind of laugh at the songs and how easy they were to play. And then I'd put the tape on again and my brother would be like, uh, it's not funny anymore. And I was like, all right, I'm, I'm pretty into this. <laughs> like it was like, it was like the more I'd listened to it, the more I was like into it. So I asked him to take me to a show. I saw seven seconds at the nine thirty club and he took me to my first show, uh, because he was older and he could drive. And, uh, I didn't think he was into it. I just thought he was just being a nice older brother. And then, uh, but that was, you know, I went up to Kevin seconds after the show and said, Oh my God, you guys are great. And he looked at a 14 year old baby at the show and he looked at me and went, uh, 
I said, you guys are great. And he looked at me and went, hey, man, you are too. <laughs> like, it was like the nicest, like, nicest thing. Um, anyway, and then I, I went and I went down into 930's dungeon to buy a shirt. They said this downstairs area to buy a shirt, like this walk together, rock together shirt. And uh, I saw my brother was like two people ahead of me in line buying a shirt. And then then we were both into it. You know what I mean? But oh, yeah. But technically dragging him to that show is what got. uh, You know, got him into it, but it it really I, I relate to the whole accessibility, you know, stuff about it. There were, you know, there were, for me, there were some, not really crossovers, but, you know, I did like suicidal tendencies, but I probably liked, I probably, I probably liked them like right when they got into their metal phase and not really early on, not the joint the army the stuff. <laughs> and then, uh, and then my very first interview, the first interview I ever, ever did, 1991, college student at Ohio State, and I interviewed Joey Ramone. Yeah, I've and heard so of that, that was a little bit of a crossover yes. too, right? Like that wasn't hair metal. That was, but that was like guys in Skid Row were wearing Ramones t-shirts and Guns yeah. N' Roses were, so it was cool, you know. Um, That's and incredible then this, that you, that you met Joey Ramone. He's an icon. He's like, well, it was a phone, it was a phone interview and, uh, and very, like I dreamed of going to college to become a, a writer for, you know, again, at the time I didn't know Rolling Stone was like the epitome, like I want to write for Rolling Stone. And that, so I'm going to go and I'm going to do a journalism major and write for Rolling Stone. And so, um, I got Joey Ramone's home phone number and I called him and, uh, the very first thing he says to me is, Hey, how are the wife and kids? And like, I froze. I'm like, um, are you expecting somebody else? Like, I don't have a wife and kid. Like, I was so nervous that I'd called the wrong number or that he thought I was somebody more important than I was. And uh, when I told him that I didn't that's have a wife and kids. That's when you make up wife and kids. Yeah. Well, he, he started laughing. He's like, nah, that's an icebreaker question. What do you got for me? And again, first interview, I'm like, so how did you decide on the remote? Like, I ask every single stupid first time or question that I'm so embarrassed that I asked him those questions. And he answered it as if it was the first time he'd ever heard any of them. We talked for like an hour and he was so nice about it. And yeah. yeah That's like, the way to on, be. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, if that had been a bad interview, I probably wouldn't be talking to you tonight. I probably would have quit at that point and uh, found another, it, it, it never, it did. I never wrote for Rolling Stone. It did not become a career path, but, uh, but I would have probably just given up after that. But that's such a great story. Yeah. That's, that's, that's fantastic. Incredible. But, you know, again, you know, in uh, 2023, Chip would have never thought that I should have held on to a cassette tape of 1991 interview with Joey Ramone because I was a cheap college student who needed to just reuse tapes over and over. So I have a tape that says Joey Ramone on it. And when I put it in, it's definitely not Joey. I don't even know. I don't know what the oh, band no. is, but it's not Joey Ramone. So. Oh, no. No, it's, uh, it's like a Smashing Pumpkins record. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's truly worthless. Yes. <laughs> All right, Chad. So, what about you? What were you? Uh, what were your high school listening habits, and how did you get into the kind of punk rock scene? And if you got into the punk rock scene, I'm not even sure that you did. Huh, shit. Um, my history with music is uh, is not so social. Um a lot um kind of like my dad putting on uh like my my memories of of getting into music have to do with like headphones literally headphones um putting on my dad putting on 
uh, Sergeant Pepper's and listening to it in headphones. And, uh, and this is, you know, early stuff. Um, and noticing like the drums are in the left ear and the singing is in the right and all that stuff. Like that's, and, and Thelonious Monk records. Um, Wait, did and, your dad play you the stuff, but, but would put headphones on you? Like you listen yes. to this on your own? Yes. My dad would be like, sit me down with, yeah. with, with a big chunky seventies headphones. And, yeah. um, you know, uh, so yeah, my, my history of music is not so much like, um, I don't have an older brother. Uh, I have a younger brother actually. Um, uh, I, d I don't, I didn't have, um, I didn't, I didn't, it was, I didn't have any kind of tribal. Um, I, um, when I say tribal, just sort of like gangs, friends, uh, in that sense of my, my, my orientation to music was kind of personal. I liked, um, liked run DMC. I liked early hip hop. Um, trying to think. Man, wait, let me ask you this. I'm sorry to interrupt. When you listen to early hip hop, did you memorize the lyrics like immediately? Cause that's, I, like, I remember listening to UTFO when I was uh, in fifth grade. I think they did Roxanne. You remember Roxanne, Roxanne? I think it was that? more transfixed by the sound, like the, the yeah. beats yeah. and the sound. Um, I just remember memorizing lyrics so fast. Like I heard a tape like twice and I was like, oh man, I got all these lines down. I could never do that with a gun to my head right now. Like I could never do that. Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could say that that I was that oriented to 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 the words. I just was like the 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 vibe, you know. I which is why to this day I do understand people. I mean, I'm very into lyrics now. I feel like that's pretty self evident, and I totally forget. I totally forgive people who tell me, "Yeah, lyrics aren't a big thing for me." I just like I just go and I feel the I feel the vibe. And I, I feel like I, I, I'm sympathetic to that because that actually is my initial orientation to music was like the, the world, the, the, the world building aspect of hip hop still, still to this day. I mean, it's the thing that I think, um, I think it's more obvious to people, first of all, because it's a, uh, a dominant, uh, uh, cultural force at this point, uh, hip hop directs everything, including country music. You know what I mean? hip hop determines so much of the world um the way the world moves and it's hip hop is shaped so many things um even you know i mean i'm serious like you can you listen to modern country music and it's just got this like it's got this hip hop beat loping under it under yeah, it it's like, a, it's like a everybody taking a lesson in production value like yeah that. and and the kind of the world the, i i like the world the world of the record um the world thing that's what you know, like the I know you know what I'm talking about, Ryan. But you know the 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 the, the you know De La Soul created worlds. Yeah. No. Look, Grandmaster Flash. Somebody came to my sister's party one time with a Grandmaster Flash record under his arm, and he put it on the turntable, and I was transformed because because of the world. But I mean, you know, it's, it's lyricism. But I had entered like New York. Like, you remember New York, New York, big city of dream every day. New York ain't always what it seemed. I might get fooled if you come from out of town, but down below, I know my way around the whole thing. Right. All those things like I'd never been in New York and all, like I was I was just like, this is like everything about it was so scary and crazy um, and everything. But wait, wait, let me interrupt real quick. What's interesting is that you said that your dad turned you on to this stuff by putting headphones on. 
I wanted to, I want to actually just, just focus on the fathers for a second, because I think we all three have this in common. My father played, uh, my father played not headphones. He would play uh, Miss You by the Rolling Stones as loud, louder than God. And I mean, like it was so loud in the house, like it was reverberating the walls and like Eagles, uh, you know, Hotel California and like, just like classic rock jams for days. Um, and Aaron's father, well, I'll let you talk about it, but Aaron's father uh, owned record stores. You're taking my story no. from me. No, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm saying, like, your father turned, must have turned you on to stuff, too. Yeah. I think he's handing it off to you. No, okay. I didn't know if we had segued from, from Chad or not. But, no, uh, my story is a little different. I'm, uh, I'm a, little, a little younger than you all. So, for me, um, I grew up going, I mean, I grew up in record stores and my dad owned record stores and uh, was super supportive in me exploring new music. Um, we would get a subscription to Rolling Stone and Spin. It would come in the mailbox every month or however often it came. And the first thing I did was go to the back page to see what was on the college charts. I could care less about anything else because I... At some point, I discovered um, that there was more music beyond the radio and what I was hearing in the radio. And I grew up in very, very, very rural Virginia. Um, there were maybe four other kids that had any interest in the same music that I had. And even, even I was going, at the time, I thought, like, I'm going way off the grid. Like, my friends don't even have, have no idea what I'm finding and discovering. And, so for me, that was finding um, everything from Camper Van Beethoven to My Bloody Valentine to uh, it's how I discovered Fugazi, you know, and then I would go to the record stores and go through the bins on the weekends and come home with something new. Um, and then very, very quickly, but I don't even remember how this happened. I started going to shows. Um, and so the, the closest city to where I grew up was in Richmond. So I, I grew up going to shows in Richmond, Virginia, and sort of uh, throwing myself into that underground punk, punk scene or, you know, whatever was happening there. Um, and that was, I was around, I mean, going to shows when I was 13, 14. And uh, somehow, for some reason, my parents let me go and you know, yeah, but a car full of kids going to the show. and. Um, and yeah, so, but, you know, that was really the launching off point for me was just really closing myself in, you know, like, like all of us as kids, you know, locking myself into my bedroom and listening to this new music that I found. And yeah, but you had the really cool thing with like your, your dad had a record store. And yeah. then if you found out about a cure, like something about like from the cure that was like an import, your father would. Oh, like, no, he would totally support like, like remember Rhino? Remember Rhino? like catalog. Oh yeah. Yeah. So like my dad would bring me that and I would go through with a highlighter and highlight the stuff that I wanted and put little asterisks next to it and figure out ways that I was going to save my money or like what was, you know, and then try to figure out there was always a code, right? There was some code for like what was vinyl and what was it not or tape, right. Or, or, you know, and then what was bootleg or something. And like, so yeah, I accrued like specifically the cure because I was obsessed with the cure. 
that's something that Chad and I have found a <laughs> common love of. Yeah, absolutely. Years, you know, but like, yeah, like I was an I was a total music record nerd as the you know starting from like eighth grade onward. Um, yeah, that was deep in the nineties. Yeah. See, see, my story. My I didn't have older siblings, and I had I grew up in um, Connecticut, and my best friend's sister was just enough older than us that she went away to college like while we were in fifth or sixth grade so she was what seven years older than us and she left behind her records which were journey ario speedwagon van halen the police ozzy osbourne black sabbath (laughs) that kind of you know the popular but that was like the whole new world to us like we i remember i distinctly remember sneaking into her room i mean we weren't really sneaking because she wasn't there but we were sneaking into her room and going through her records and so that was where my like love of music started. My parents were not big music people. We had the thing I remember that both of my parents had in their cars and it was like almost permanently cemented in was Alan Parsons project. Eye in the sky cassette. Oh yeah. Um, they both had, they, we had two copies of it in, in the midnight household and uh, that's production value. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, that's a kind of like I, I bought, I got it for a dollar out of a vinyl bin not too long ago and put it on. And like what you're saying, I can remember every single word to every single song because we listened to it 40 years ago so much that it's ingrained. I'll never forget those words to those songs. That's your Grandmaster Flash. <laughs> but you know, but when you said that it did, I did have, um, I did have uh, the Sugar Hill Gang Rapper's Delight album. Yeah, when we, I was, also, we got, our kids have that on vinyl. Yep, I don't know yep. how that happened. <laughs> but. We found it at a used record band somewhere, yeah. yeah. This is where it's uh, probably good to point out that this is a married couple. I don't know if we if that's been established. Yes. I'm a, I'm a oh, player. I meant me and Aaron's kids, not me and Chad's kids. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> Very good. So, Chad, then how did um, so going from was it the production stuff that got you into playing it? Like, how do I duplicate what I'm hearing in my ears? Is that how you got into playing music? You know, this is I should have a better recollection of this. I should have more understanding of this. Um, here's, okay, here's the thing that, um, my entry, my entry to music, uh, kind of happened because I wrote poetry. Um, I wrote, I was a writer kid. I was really into, I was, I was really into books and reading and, um, and poetry and, uh, and I kind of had a. I don't know. I, I think I, de- I, I developed an ambition to be a writer. I don't know when I was, um, in high school. Um, uh, and, um, and, uh, I went to a writer writer's camp actually, <laughs> which is the, did you know that Ryan? Yeah. Oh, you mentioned yeah. it before. Yeah. Okay. I think um, this is the time when you used to carry around the complete works of Shakespeare under your arm. I, I did carry around the complete <laughs> works of Shakespeare. No, that's a little bit later. That was actually a little bit later. Um, uh, no, wait, that's actually earlier. That's earlier. Yeah, I, I, I had a, um, when I was in like, actually, it was, an, it's interesting. That's an interesting, the complete works of Shakespeare thing is an interesting. No, I mean, that's actually an interest. I think that's, I think that's, a, I think that, I think this could give you some insight into like my whole deal. <laughs> um, uh, I moved, we moved from Harlem and Washington Heights, totally black neighborhood, black and Puerto Rican neighborhood, 
um uh my my parents um my dad became the uh the uh um general counsel of the equal employment opportunity commission in washington dc my dad was uh, a lawyer my dad died in 2019 um is why i say was i when i refer to my refer to him in the past tense um uh and we moved to dc because my dad had a big time job in in dc um we actually moved to a suburb outside of dc arlington virginia um and uh which is a white neighborhood largely white neighborhood and maybe a little bit faintly um vietnamese neighborhood but not a lot of black people not a lot of Hispanics, not you know, not not a lot of Latinos, um, not a lot of other minorities, um, and uh, and um, but I was a I was a nerdy kid. I was like, I was defined. I was tall. I was like, I I I could beat you up if I needed to. You know what I mean? Um, I'm not the kid, the kind of kid you would you would probably want to step to, but I was definitely nerdy enough that a bully might be attracted to to try it out. Um, I started carrying around the complete works of Shakespeare, which is like a book like this big, like a really large, ridiculously large book. Nobody carries it around. We're familiar um, with it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it, does, it doesn't make sense to carry it around. It's really it's kind of a stupid thing to, to be carrying <laughs> around. But I kind of carried it around as a kind of defiant thing. Like, come on, fuck with me, you know? Um, uh, I'll beat you with this book. I mean, I, I, I was, I was ready. I was ready. I mean, and I actually did end up getting into fight, a pretty bad fight. Of, is this, of, is this the same era though? I mean, obviously Chad and I have a history, but is this the same era, Chad, you said that you, at some point in your youth, uh, but I don't know if it's later or not, but you said there was a time when you'd listen to a Walkman all the time. And there was a time when you listened to music more than you did not listen to like that, you know what I'm that comes that comes a little bit later but yes uh mm-hmm. um uh which is funny because like the contemporary kid with like uh you know this like my students i'm a high school teacher it's like their uh earbuds are in constantly so yeah it's really not that unusual i'm pretty sure they're listening to stuff constantly you know but like i remember when you told me that thing i was thinking like i'm a music fan oh my god i'd never do that I've never listened that much. <laughs> uh, it's not an attractive trait. <laughs> I can tell you. Um, yeah. Uh, especially with girls. Um, uh, like, are you, are you always listening to music? Are you all and when you're not listening to music, you're talking about music when you, you know, not, not an attractive trait. Um, uh, um, okay. So I, uh, here's the thing I got, in, I was, I got into writing. Um, and, uh, around age 15, I went to, my parents sent me to, um, uh, a writer's camp, um, which was actually at, um, uh, Mary Washington university, I think in like in Virginia. Um, uh, and, uh, uh, there was like, there were different divisions of this writer's camp. There was the poetry, there was the prose, and there was a like actually a music and songwriter kind of thing. Um, all very nerdy kids. Uh, uh, 
who were who's who had supportive parents i have to say like if you were there your parents you know were like encouraging you to be a creative person i think um which i have to give credit to my parents that that's the truth that's my truth is that i was there because they they were supportive of it um uh and over time over the course of the time i was there which was like two weeks you could feel that poetry did not have the social traction of rock and roll <laughs> uh, like you, you you would you could you could you know you could see that the 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 uh um just the so, the galvanizing social aspect of music um if you were in the songwriting division was much much cooler much, by like leaps and bounds um and i love music and uh so i kind of my friend jed actually um kind of was like you should be over you should come over to the our side <laughs> you know you write poetry um and you know i played piano uh, which i should have said i played piano at that point um uh, cause we, my, I, in Harlem, we had a piano in our house. Um, and I would sort of, um, sit down and make up songs on the, on the piano. Um, and so Jed was like, you know, you, you could combine your music thing with your words thing. And that's, that's called songs, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, and I think, you know, I think girls will like you basically. <laughs> um, and, uh, so I, I kind of, I managed to transfer within the camp to the songwriting division at the very end of the camp. Um, and that's my, that's how that was my entry to, into, into, into like, that's, you know, my super villain origin story, I guess. So you, so you did do it. You did do it to get chicks. So that means you're, you got a lot to do. You got a lot in common with the metal thing that we yeah. were talking about earlier. <laughs> I, I, look, I, I don't think it was literally, it was, it was, it was more like, I noticed you could hold people's attention. You could hold, you know, you could like, it was, it, it it's like a social, like, um, it was like, a you could just, you could reach people in a way that people tune out poetry. No, for sure. Listen, as look, I teach creative writing and in creative writing, kids sign up for creative writing. And when I say we're going to do poetry, everybody sighs. There's going to be like two kids in the room of like 30, right? There's like two kids that are like, yay, but they're kind of like, I don't want anybody to know I like this, but they like it. The rest of them are like, Ugh, poetry. And when I teach English and we study poetry, they sigh. If we talk about lyrics and songs, they're interested. Yeah, so, it, it's very, yeah. It's, poetry is such, such an interesting struggle because I think it's, I think it's pathetic. I think, I think the poetry world should feel ashamed of itself, in my opinion, that um, not, no progress was made for the form in an age when people's attention spans shrank a la Twitter. Um, poetry is actually perfectly suited to Twitter. Um, you know, it, it's a brief, it's a, it's an art form. You can't, you can't claim it's boring in the sense of you don't have time for it. You definitely have time for poetry. You know, it's interesting that poetry, poetry should have in the age of where brevity was celebra is celebrated. Poetry should have made much uh, bigger gains in terms of the, the world consciousness and i think that that i think it's a failing of of the community behind it i mean this is not they won't like to hear this um but that didn't happen um uh and I, but i did notice you know i it wasn't i mean when i, I the girls thing was like i'm being sort of flipping about it. it wasn't literally girls it was more like people 
I, you put this, you put, you put a melody behind words and people are listening, you know, mm -hmm. um, and then you later learn, oh, they're only listening to the, to the melody <laughs> and the, everything is there's sort of like everything else is sort of sounds and phonemes or whatever. Um, but yeah, the, my, more, my orientation to music is, um, is not so much like, I, I'm actually jealous of people who had, um, kind of like groups of friends who got into things in a sort of gang-like ways. Um, uh, I didn't have that. Um, I don't have that background, you know? Um, uh, and after, after this period about, you know, I, I started really liking Peter Gabriel. I like Peter Gabriel a lot, which is, I think that something that's becoming more evident in that influence is becoming more evident in later period beauty pill stuff. Um, that sort of uh, widescreen world building thing that he did. Um, uh, I was into the world of the record um, and uh, live performance was something that was exciting to me, um, but uh, was not the, the, the thing that, um, that uh, drove me down the tunnel. It was record. Um, that, yeah. yeah I'm trying to remember. I, that was sort of my, yeah, I was definitely, I was not going to punk rock shows when I was 13. My first concert was, I had to beg my mom because I, I didn't have like older friends. And so like I was 14 or 15, I couldn't drive myself. And so the compromise we made is she took me to see Huey Lewis in the news on the sports tour. Cause that was about, you know, Solid. sort of. I thought Huey know. Lewis in the news as well, but it wasn't on that tour. But my dad definitely, he would give free tickets to stuff. And so that was one of them. That also saw Van Halen. But yeah, it was always, anyway. Yeah, oh, the, yeah, so that, that was my intro. And then I then somebody moved in next door who had a driver's license. And so I went and saw Aerosmith and Ted Nugent was my second concert. So that's that was when it when it all started. It was uh, and I, this, is, this has nothing to do with anything, but the news as a backing band name is so good. Just like just, just Chad saying no. Uh -uh. Uh -uh. No, it's it's just news is just a single <laughs> you saying no, why not? No, it's terrible. I love that it is shorter than Huey Lewis's name. It's Huey Lewis has more syllables than and then it's just the news. <laughs> so solid. so can I take it then, Chad, that like your dream necessarily wasn't to become a rock star, it was to Put the music to your poetry and and create something as opposed to being on the cover of Rolling Stone. Yeah, I I would have to say that um, I it's funny because I ended up being I ended up you know I ended up being the lead singer of Smart Went Crazy, which is the band that I had in the nineties. Um, uh, I didn't want to be the lead singer. I I had this idea that uh, I would um, I think that we were even actively looking for a lead singer for a little while. Um. Uh, I don't remember. Um, but, uh, I, I didn't, I didn't ever, I didn't, I don't have a, um, I'm tall. I have to say I'm six foot four and, uh, it's not, not hard for me to get attention physically. You know, like if I walk in a room, people tend to look over my way, just, just, um, just in terms of physical presence. So I don't have a, I think there are a lot, like, I don't, how tall is Iggy Pop? Does anyone know? Mm -mm. Is he tall or, or is he a short guy? Or like Prince, for example. Prince being Prince being an, an amazing example 
of a short guy who absolutely um, cultivated this amazing art of holding everyone's attention and making sure that you were caught in his spell. And I, I think that is a very high art. Um, the Mick Jagger, uh, um, uh, Prince, uh, uh, Iggy Pop. I'm trying to think of other like amazing um, magnetic. I mean, I respect the art of the front person. I really do. Um, and I think it's something that I, everyone does it differently. And, um, but it is an, it's an art unto itself. It's not, was not the one that I expected to. I kind of always wanted to be a little bit of the um, wizard behind the curtain kind of thing. Uh, I wanted to write songs and I, I definitely wanted to write lyrics. Um, uh, but I didn't really want to be the lead singer. I ended up being the lead singer of Smart and Crazy. And I, I have it as a, <clears throat> I have a, I have a particular sounding um, singing voice and uh, which is different from my speaking voice. Um, and uh, you know, I got, I kind of got used to it. Um, and I, I developed, I found that I kind of enjoyed singing um, sometimes, not all the time. A lot of times I was frustrated with my own voice limitations of my voice um uh but i never really like loved the front person um thing and when smart and crazy was over um and also i didn't really love i didn't love the um in smart and crazy i did not love the attention uh, you know smart and crazy did wrote uh, a lot of songs that were um allegorical sometimes about my own personal life Sometimes it, sometimes it was fictional, um, uh, but um, in the world that we were in, there was a lot of spe uh, kind of speculation about me and my personal life, it, which would come up in interviews and stuff because people were interpreting the songs a certain kind of way. And I didn't really love that kind of that kind of spotlight. Um, uh, so when so when uh, Smart and Crazy ended, um, and a few years later decided to start uh, Beauty Pill. Um, I, I wanted to create a different structure, um, uh, which, and my initial idea was that I would sing some songs um, because they were written for my voice or whatever. Um, but I, my initial idea was that I wanted eventually to not sing at all. That was, that was, I mean, that was my secret plan was like, eventually all the songs will go to the other singer. Um, Beauty Pill started with two singers, uh, uh, myself and Joanne Gole. Uh, um, and, uh, she has a great voice and, and she's, I mean, it's, it's kind of, she's not a, she's not a uh, rock star now, but, um, I saw in her this, uh, I felt like she had the ability, she could become one. Um, she's one of those people who is just charismatic in a very special kind of way. Um, and, uh, and I, as I said, I, re I respect the art of the art of charisma, you know, um, uh uh but beauty pill was set up my idea of beauty pill was that it would be um uh my voice and and a woman's voice um and it would ha and the songs could um could uh were um not uh gender specific or the, the the songs um could uh um be androgynous um and um almost sort of like a socialist idea of like the the voice is the every man is the every person voice um uh i didn't realize at the time how how eccentric we sounded you know like now i understand 
I mean, it's it's a little bit it's a it's a tricky thing because, uh, you know, um, I hear now the connection, this the musical connections between Smart Run Crazy and Beauty Pill, um, but in but when you're inside of it, I didn't understand how people perceive people really literally thought Beauty Pill was just Smart Run Crazy with a different name, um, and uh, and that's not the case at all, um. Uh, and it wasn't the way I had perceived it. Um, when I, I let me jump in and just say, when I joined the band, Joanne and Abram, I, I joined the band when uh, when the original Beauty Pill lineup was was still there, uh, and and that was always the idea was that you and Joanne would trade. Like yes. I remember early on, it was like it was like like I joined the band in order to be to bring the band to become a live thing. Yes. You know, and then and in conversation was always like Joanne might sing the song, Chad might sing the song. And then and then part of the appeal, I, I really I still like the idea, but part of the appeal was like you go to a beauty pill show, you don't know who's gonna sing what, you know? Yes. But and it's like, um, and you just like if you're if you're into it, you just you just accept it. It's like, no, that's the vibe. That's that's the thing that's happening. And and we even it wasn't just with, with Joanne when when Rachel joined eventually. Uh, that was still the conversation. We never yeah. really, we never really got there ever. We never really got there, but uh, but it was something that I really thought. I mean, I'm glad you bring this up. Um, it's something that I really thought would be genuinely innovative. There are um, two singer bands, you know, uh, the Beatles. I mean, if you not, you know, I guess I've heard of, I've heard of them. Uh, or you know, um, you know, Tribe Called Quest or Run DMC or. Uh, you know, there, um, uh, there, you know, but you don't really hear, um, or like Fleetwood Mac, which is actually a three singer band. Um, you don't really hear people trading roles so much. Um, you know, there's no, I don't think there are any recordings of John Lennon singing yesterday or, you know, like, I think that there's, um, the, 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 the song generally resides with a particular singer in a particular way, uh, even even for Fugazi, who is another two singer band, um, I don't think that there's moments. I'm, I might be wrong about this, but I don't think there are a lot of recorded moments where they um, where they flip roles um, uh, in a sort of fluid way. Um, mostly, Ian sings the Ian lines, and Guy sings the Guy lines, and that's kind of the way it goes down. Um, uh, I want to. I the only thing is we never did it. We I always thought it would be like a surprise live. We never did it live. But it, like for Beauty Pill, like uh, Joanne sang Hidden Track. I think there's a version where you sang Hidden Track. I'm not sure. Yes. Uh, Aaron, you've sung. You sung Hidden Track yet? You have, right? Uh, we've played around with it. Uh, well, you know, um, with, with you, yes, you. There's a version with you singing, Chad. I think I recorded Joanne singing it once and I one time sung it uh, on four track. I mean, this will never see the light of day ever, but it, like, I remember I got really sick and my voice was like this and I was like, Oh, this is going to be really good for you. Yes. You. <laughs> and I, and I recorded it and it was, but it, like I said, it was always the plan was just like, that we would did be that with prison song. I mean, oh that's yeah. Prison song yes. yeah. 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 You've done prison song. Maybe that's what I'm thinking of. You've done prison song. Not not hidden track prison song and Rachel's done prison song and Chad you you've done prison song yes so uh, yeah I, I love it I, I think it's a, I still think it's a cool idea 
I wish that it was I wish that it was something we were known for, but it's not. We never we've never pulled it off. You know what I mean? It's like it's like a, it's a little bit of a failure. Um let's get on uh, it. Let's call it a failure. Let's do it. Uh no, I mean I want to I, I we're still wanting to do it. Yes. We're, yeah, I, yeah. I, we talk about it. It's something. Yeah. I mean, since the moment that I started working with you, it was like you were I feel I feel right out the gate. You were saying I feel we're closer than ever to it, and it's something that we all we all want really badly to to do. Um uh but like, uh, I mean, the practicality of like when we were like so when I was in the band and we were touring, the the you like we I mean I'm not this isn't a statement on anybody in the band, but we were were just we were really trying to get through the songs like it was yeah, you know, yeah. so it was like you know we had to we had to like manage what we knew and and I think everybody in the band was just like we in order to get through the tour we have to stay in our lane. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I think I think that's we true. Come, we didn't come up here to riff. <laughs> I think that's true. It is actually it is actually like at, at a mechanical level, it's it's a, it's an ambitious plan. Um, you know, Chad, you and I have only played a handful of shows together uh, live because of COVID and other various things. Um, but live, I have sung a couple of your songs. That yeah, is, and that was I love uh, it. I don't know how I don't know what the audience made of it, but it seemed natural, like that's how we rehearse them, you know. And because I wasn't on the original recording, it didn't seem. I mean, I think it's. I think it's. I think it's. I personally think it's thrilling, and I and I would love to. And I literally, I I mean, it in terms of touring, I want it to be something that people remember, like, oh, she sang the song that he sings on the record, and and vice versa, you know. Um, and that that it becomes a fluid thing. That was the ambition of a beauty pill. It was sort of a futuristic, post gender, um, or or all gender, um, uh, uh, and almost socialist kind of thing. I have since under come to understand how, um, again, like sort of eccentric and particular, the music that we make sounds. I I used to think that it was, um. I don't know more uh I, I like i i now understand why people um why it seems very personal like it seems like very personal music and why people respond um i remember ian mckay um saying to me something like you know you're not going to be able to you're not going to be able to you're not gonna be able to disappear like it's not that's not gonna work not gonna work people are people's eyes are always going to go to you and that's just the way it is um uh and i I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't accept, I didn't, I don't know, I didn't, I I have more, I think I have, now that I'm a middle-aged man, I feel like I have more, um, like, kind of a bird's eye view of, of, you know, like, I go back, I was saying this to Ryan, like, I go back and listen to things that I used to think were hit song sounding things, and they're so weird, (laughs) they're so weird, um, Things that I really thought were like, oh, radio hits, you know, I mean, I straight up literally was like, this is going to go to the top of the charts, you know, and like, um, my concept of what I was doing was very diluted in a way. Um, And uh, so I understand why people uh, perceive it as very personal and eccentric music and particularly located to me, and particularly draw this connection between Smart Run Crazy and Beauty Pill, which really, really used to irk me back in the day. Um, I didn't, I literally didn't, first of all, I didn't, I I kind of just felt like I should be given a clean slate. Like, let me just start something 
that was smart and crazy. Let me start something totally new. Um, and uh, and um, I think it's actually speaking about actually Blue Period, the the record that we're releasing now. Um, I think it was that mis misapprehension, the expectation that Beauty Pill was simply renamed Smart and Crazy is one of the things that went wrong in terms of the way people received um, the Blue Period music. Um, uh, expecting, I remember some reviews were like, he's not screaming. And, and like, what? What are you talking about? No, I don't. And, you know, and they were like, it sucks because he's not screaming. You know, like, these are kids, obviously. These are punk kids um, ex with an expectation that, oh, well, he screamed in that other band. And I was kind of expecting it to kind of rock more. Um, and, and you know, uh, I think, um, uh, I think I'm going back to Ian. I think Ian once said to me, um, sometimes the last person to understand your new band is the fan of your old band. Um, and that was that was eye-opening for me to, to think about that but it was not you know the longtime fan is often not the fan that actually you know grasps what what you do they the longtime fan always believes that they are the real fan i still have people i still have dudes coming up to me being like you know i go way back you know with with, with your with your music and that's not always a sign that they get what i'm doing you know what i mean they okay. think it is they think it is. They're like, anybody who's been into you for just a couple of years, they don't really get it. I get it because I've been in down for 20 whatever years. It's not always the case. Um, I don't know. I'm rambling now. <laughs> At a point. Did, so you said that was your vision of when you started Beauty Pill was to be able to do this. Did you have that idea in Smart Went Crazy and maybe the band members weren't the right band members to pull it off? Or was this something completely, you just wanted to completely throw away everything and start? No, I, I, think I, I, think I, I think I understood, I understood my role in Smart Went Crazy. I was the lead singer. You know, I, I, it was a much, Smart Went Crazy in some ways was a much more conventional rock band kind of thing. I mean, we were a rock band with a black dude singing in a cello, but we, we were a rock band, you know, yeah. like. Beauty Pill was more of a conceptual um, kind of a post stereo lab um, kind of conceptual uh, public image limited sort of like idea that was um, post band almost in a way. At least I, the, let me just jump in because I, I remember just the friendship of Chad uh, uh, Abram and Joanne, like Beauty Pill started just as three friends getting together, uh, enjoying being around each other. It really didn't seem like, you know, we have to start another band with, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Chad, but it didn't seem like we have designs for world domination. It seemed like the immediacy of your friendship with these, these people, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and you guys, you guys hung out together. You guys wrote together. You guys, it was, it was very insular. The three of you, uh, just, doing whatever you want. Like, like it was almost like a, it was like an explosion with like, like new freedom. You know, I, I, I would agree. I would agree. I have to credit Joanne for that though. I have to credit Joanne for that because it initially started, honestly, um, beauty pill started in the smart one crazy van as a discussion between me and Abram, <laughs> like a, a ex, you know, like when we get out of this shit, you know, that's how it started. Um, uh, and, you know, Abram and I had this real, like, you know, uh, love and connection 
And it was the foundational um, songwriting energy in, in Smart or Crazy. I feel like that's safe to say. Um, and, uh, and when, you know, we, when Abram and I got out, we were, we talked about like, what do we want to do with this creative energy, with our friendship? Um, and, uh, and, you know, we started talking about the design and our ideas of what the next thing we wanted to do. And I knew that we wanted to make something, um, you know, Smart or Crazy was a stormy band in a lot of ways, um, emotionally and externally, like it was, we made sort of stormy music. Um, and uh, Abram and I got excited about the idea of making pleasurable music. You know, um, as I said, <laughs> what we considered pleasurable, I can now hear how weird it is. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we uh, um, and, uh, and Abram and I started working on songwriting. Abram and I have ha had and have a very strong songwriting connection. Um, we can easily kind of fall into songwriting together. Um, uh, but Abram is sort of dour as a person a little bit, and I can be dour and the music that we make together, if we're, if we're left to our own devices can take on a sort of, um, shadowy, uh, 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 sinister, I don't know. Um, uh, it's not, not as much fun as, as we want to be. Um, and, and so we, we sought out Joanne who we knew in high school um for her social energy you know um because joanne injects fun into things you know just having her around is fun um and uh uh so i feel like um joanne joanne's presence um and joanne it's also joanne doesn't have any patience for kind of arty obscure bullshit um and uh joanne likes david bowie and pop music and um and hit songs and those are that's and so joanne injected this uh joanne would if joanne would get bored with something we 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 would discard it you know she became this important figure in terms of we wanted to engage her we wanted to make something that was exciting for her um and uh she was the opposite of dower yeah she was the opposite <laughs> of dower um and and those kind of things like i still think those things are really important the uh, I believe that, I, I mean, it, I say this all the time and people think it's, I'm being provocative or abstract, but I do believe that um, instruments amplify people. I, I, I think that that's what instruments do. Um, I believe that when you hear, um, when you hear me on guitar or when you, I don't know anybody, um, when you hear uh, Devin on drums or, 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 um, uh, you know, or I don't know, pick a famous person playing an instrument. You're hearing them through the instrument. Um, and uh, I think that personality is what is what comes through in music. And it's why um, if you, a, a band of boring people will, will make boring music. Um, and I believe that Joanne and I and I don't think that that's a I believe that Joanne's presence in Beauty Pill injected this very necessary chemistry of electricity of extroversion of um of charm uh and i credit her for that and i think that that is why the first uh beauty pill ep is a it's it's a strong it's a strong and charming jewel of a record and i think that uh i i i wrote a lot of that stuff 
you know, but I think it's Joanne, the, the Joanne and Abram and uh, Chad, as you said, world of, of, uh, of friendship and love and, you know, kind of hanging out and be, getting high together in a, in a cabin, you know, um, like those are, I think those are, uh, that's why that record has the, the vibe it has. And I still believe in, in human chemistry being very key to what people receive from music. Um, and it's when I'm looking for to whenever I'm if I'm in a position where I'm looking for, um, you know, it, it's why I, we asked Aaron to join the band. Um, you know, uh, recently it's like there's there's a she brings this energy that everyone could feel was needed and is welcome. And um, uh, so yeah, I think I think yeah, personal chemistry is a big part of what makes music is what i believe i'm gonna i mean i'm gonna bring up ian again like i think that you can hear um his interest in direct communication when he picks up the guitar it's not even in it's like you can hear his interest in confrontation and being um and spitting truth in the guitar mm -hmm. uh, and even the guitar that he chooses to play and and the way that it interacts with the amplifier um you can hear his value system uh in in every note that is played i think that you can hear people in the instrument um uh and it's i think it's what makes music magical um i don't i think that being technically good i mean joanna was not a very technical musician at all um uh but i i just believe it's important the energy that the person is comes through the in the notes i, I just think it's really an important um chemistry um and I, it's the it's one the one thing that I I consider an art that I think I think I'm pretty good at, um, is is putting those sorts of energies together. I've also screwed up a lot, um, but I think uh, I think it's I think it's key. I think it's the it's the thing, you know, it's the magic. Yeah, I don't want to keep going back to Smart Went Crazy, but were you able to construct that? the band in your vision of smart one crazy, the way that you were in beauty pillar was smart one crazy, more of a um, uh, collaboration amongst people. Whereas beauty pill is more of your vision. Um, smart one crazy uh, was my first band. And um, uh, those, they were all intense people, every one of them. And all of them were, could be a band leader, I think. Um, and. Uh, I was the leader of that. I mean, I, I are not the leader. I was the main creative. I was the songwriter at the core of a lot of this stuff. I would come in with a sketch or an idea and, um, and it would be developed democratically. Um, and there were very, there were intense people. Um, like if you were in the room with, with us, I mean, you know, um, uh, I mean, I think that, that manifests in the music as, t as well. Um, and they're, they're you, you, you described it as stormy, right? So that uh, yeah, it's a stormy. I mean, it's a stormy. It's a is a stormy band, um, and uh, and I don't know why I thought it could last, <laughs> um, but I thought you know, I, I um, I mean, I you could feel it. It was like, oh, this is this is miserable, and it's not gonna, you know, it's like it's gonna be a short lived thing, um, uh, um, those guys were better musicians than I was, um, and, uh all of them actually um uh 
And but I was the I had I had a I have a I have a thing. I have a I have a thing. Um and uh you know like I I I have a song thing like I I I can I can um I can I'm have a feel for song making. And I think that they respected that. I think there was some um kind of almost resentment of that or a competition around that and uh and I it's not a um I don't know. It, uh, uh, it was a band. Um, I feel like when you hear the best of our music, you're hearing uh, five people who were all in concert um, and exerting their own energies into the music in in a particular way in which where it glows and it's and I mean the rec- the second record that we made, Con Art, is is a phenomenal thing to to this day. Like uh, we reissued it a few years ago. And I had to listen to it in order to reissue it, um, uh, to 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 help with remastering it, and it's 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 a, it's astonishing to hear, and you can hear the ways that people interact, and you can hear the way um, Devin, who is the drummer, and Abram, who was the bassist, had this particular language together that was separate from me. You know what I mean? Like that was a that was, um, or or and and Hillary in particular, you can hear. Um, Hillary Soldati was the cellist, and Hillary Soldati, Hillary's cello in that band, is closer to um, um, sort of uh, Hendrix sort of stuff than than the way people often use cello in in rock music these days, which is often to signify this sort of regal or majestic. I don't know, important. I don't know. It's I'm not into. I'm not into. Yeah, I'm gonna stop there. Um, uh, but I think Hillary- let, me, let me let me interrupt real quick though, and just say this that that for the songwriting part, and I think uh, I think this is probably true in Smart and Crazy. I wasn't there, but certainly my my collaborative um, time with Chad, uh, I imagine it's the same way. So Chad, correct me if I'm wrong, but Chad will come to practice with an idea pretty often. He'll he's he's got a lot of a lot of ideas on standby that that are just like rattling around and he'll he'll present them and if he doesn't or if somebody does something on the fly if somebody plays three notes on a bass and he hears three notes on a bass everything stops and chad goes oh no 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 keep doing that keep doing that keep doing that and then he'll pick up a guitar and find another melody or he'll hum uh like phonetics like gibberish or a line or something like that 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 will be structured later but if somebody, um, I think, I think that's, that's the thing that, that not everybody, not everybody can do. You know what I mean? So like if, if the people in Sparm and Crazy are like technically more like ace musicians, do you know what I mean? It, yes. doesn't, stop, it doesn't stop the fact that like, it's like my experience with Chad was just like, I could play three or four chords on a guitar and Chad would say, loop that. And then he would cascade he'd be like cascading with other ideas and and then you're you're suddenly collaborating and developing uh something way more intricate and it really and and, and, and there are it's not a boundaries thing that's not it's not there's no need to delineate you know there's no need there's not a um there's no like kind of legalistic kind of like oh now you know like yeah it's like a, it's a fluid it's a fluid yeah. thing uh like i'll, I'll give you speaking about smart and crazy i'll give you an example of a smart and crazy song um 
uh, a good day, which is, I think, one of the best smart and crazy songs. Um, begin. I walked into practice, and Abram and was already doing this thing with playing the harmonics on the bass, which you hear at the top of the song. And uh, Devin had created a this really great drum part, and they were just sort of looping it. I don't think that they had a feel. I knew immediately this is an opening of something, but it needs to change almost immediately. You know, like it, it's 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 a it's an overture to something that where where you'd have to immediately change after a few seconds. Um, I don't think that they had the concept of what that's what they were doing. I think they were just jamming, and that was I think the that was the energy that I brought in, which is sort of like feeling feeling the puzzle what what the structure could be or what the where it could go or that it, that it had the potential to go somewhere um and the 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 rest of the song is um is not me playing almost anything on any i don't play any notes until i think the chorus i play like one sort of curving guitar line um but for the most part that is all not written by me um uh, it is me structuring what they were doing, you know, like saying, this is A, this is B, this is, you know, kind of try this and then do this. And, and it was, none of it was written, written, written by me. Um, I, I ended up making the words and the melody over it. But that's which, what a lot of bands do. Like, it's like there's usually one person in a practice space that is that is the arranger. Um, and it's it's essential because there are not only are they arranging this thing, they're also editing. Um, you know, what I mean, it's 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 a puzzle to put together and somebody has to speak up to say, oh, no, no, this 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 slams into this. This should go for four, not eight. That should go for 16. You know, what I mean, like, um, you know, and then you pull out the whiteboard and you start. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, it's funny. I don't I didn't really have not really had gotten to experience i've wanted it really badly to experience <laughs> no to experience <laughs> that kind of thing as like as like a standard way of working um i uh the idea th th what you just said like I, I for us good day was an unusual thing um because i had often come into the band with kind of hearing this stuff in my head already and um including hearing cello lines which became a really uh, which became a really uh, sore point um, with me and Hillary. Honestly, um, I would hear, I would be like, "And you play this, you know." And I, and when I would say, "And you play this," what I meant was, "It's this is a starting point. I'm going to give you this melody to play. You can change it, but here's what I've written for you." You know what I mean? And not understanding just because I'm a fucking weirdo that that is not that is. For someone, for some musicians, that's that's offensive. You don't tell me what to play. You know what I mean? I didn't understand that at the time. Um, yeah, uh, my experience was like with Joanne. I wasn't there for Cigarette Girl, but I know that Joanne just played a couple of notes on bass, and it became Cigarette Girl. You know what I mean? Like like looping that it became a whole world of a song. For me, uh, I don't even know what we did together, but I never played. If I played anything on a bass or a guitar it it usually became like be, you usually embraced it and we're just like no 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 keep going keep going keep going and it, it was like you, it was almost like an improv where where in improv you don't say you don't say no you say yes to everything like that sort yeah, of thing but ryan you're a different kind of person you don't have that kind of um ego 
you know? No, no. When people start competing, I usually leave. Yeah, you're not. You're just. <laughs> you're, you're not like that. You're. I mean, which is uh, which is which to your credit. Like, um, the people in Smart and Crazy were. You just. I don't know. You, you know, they were like. They were. They were. They had. They had. They had egos. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh. I mean, I look. It's a fucking great band. I'm not putting the band down. No, I get along with all those people. You know, I mean, they're really strong-willed. Um, you know, they didn't, I mean, it was not, and also like the fact that people, people's attention, you know, when, when people wanted to interview Smart and Crazy, they were not that interested in talking to the other guy. Uh, you know, they weren't even just talking to Hillary, who was playing this very unusual instrument. And, you know, of course, she felt it was sexist that people would sort of look past her or, you know, and always want to talk to me. And it was, uh, it was a source of, it was a source of, um, you know, it was one of the things that undid us. I mean, I can recognize that now. Um, I mean, I think even Devin would say that now. Um, that imbalance, that weirdness. I, also, my my completely not understanding how bands normally work. You know, um, like I didn't know, you know, that you don't just walk into and go, here's your part, here's your part, here's your part. You know, I, can't, I came up with this all last night in my head. Um, and how for a great musician, they're just like, well, fuck off, you know. I thought you guys did. I thought you guys did. Got wrapped up in not, which is not unusual for for any band. But there's like an insular madness that happens when you tour. Yes. And and my my impression from and you know we were I was in Most Secret Method in the '90s, so and we only played shows together back then. But my impression was that you got like the demise of the band came from came from touring. And like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Devin said it was weird from the fucking start, you know, (laughs) Um, you know, Um, and and then and then he was like, but then I mean, I was actually just talking to Devin last week about this. We had a beer and it was it was fucking great. We spent all night talking and he was like and then he was like and then he was like he said. It was such a like weird, sour, um, you know, like energy. But then he's like, fuck the music. You know, he's like, I really understood that we were doing something really extraordinary. And I mean, that's not his words. I mean, I'm, that's me. You know, he he was he he said, like, these people are weird, you know, <laughs> but, but but look at what we're doing, you know. Um, and he was really fired up. Um, he was really fired up about con art. And in fact, a lot of con art was um in terms of production, was me and Devin staying at the studio very, very late. And then me staying a little bit later, and, and then Devin, and uh, and then Devin coming in the next day and being like, "What the fuck did you do to the song?" <laughs> um, which is a whole other topic. Um, uh, there's, there's actually two roads I want to take, and I'm gonna go down one road first. Is so you talked about touring. So like, what like Smart went crazy is touring. Tell me about that. Like, what bands were you touring with, and were you doing coast to coast kind of stuff? Or we we had a weird thing where we didn't we didn't really know we weren't tapped into any kind of. Um, Hillary Soldati was our 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 um, booking person within the band, um, and we didn't we we didn't tour with other bands for the most part. Um, we played we played. I mean, notable shows that I remember we played with Blonde Redhead. Um, for a few shows and that was fascinating they were fascinating people um uh we we would play we were most we would often be on a um uh because our first record which is called now or even 
was not a respected record. Um, and so we, we were not, well, we were not, we were, we were both weird and also like, um, and also not great to be, to be real. Um, and, uh, and we were touring, we would, we, because we, because of beggars uh, can't be choosers kind of thing, we would end up on like hardcore matinees playing with hardcore bands. Um, and we would be the exotic weird thing that you would see that day. Um, uh, and sometimes that worked to our advantage. Like the kids would be blown away. Um, and you know, we would just make an entirely new kind of like scene for the, that day. Um, mostly it did not work out. Um, uh, uh, but yeah, we, we, um, and, and back in those days, you would try to tour for a very long time. You would try to tour for, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks and it would be grueling and it kind of didn't matter. And in a way, um, there was almost, um, I mean, this is my view. Um, there was almost a masochism to it. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know that, I don't know that smart, smart and crazy fell apart because of, uh, the, the vibe on tour. I don't know that that's, I don't know that I would agree with that. Um, I think, you know, from our conversations in the past, that's a, I think the reason I said that was because of what you said about there was a masochism to it. Yeah. I mean, so it's almost like, um, I don't know, like feeling defeated on the road uh, and and thinking like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Like that sort of thing. Um, I was a, I was a drag. I was a drag <laughs> in that band. God damn. I was I was the fucking worst. Looking back, I was I mean. I I'm sure I was insufferable. Um, yeah, but uh, do you say that in terms of like self sabotage? Well, I, oh, look, is that, too, I, is that too far? I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just no, saying no, no, like, no. This is this is this is a this is. I mean, it's an interesting it's an interesting thing. Again, like I'm middle aged man now. I'm looking back at my you know youth, I guess. Um, and uh, yeah, I think I think I i was i found a lot of our circumstances completely absurd and miserable like the worst we'd be playing some show i don't know like i just thought well this is a nightmare and i i kind of i kind of uh i kind of like developed this sort of gleeful um embrace of the darkness of it like i kind of thought it kind of suited the band in a way that this is this is we're doomed we're so fucking doomed it's hilarious how doomed we are um and i kind of brought that energy i caught that i brought that energy into the shows i think i think and that really really alienated and pissed off um particularly devin who was younger and uh who was very signed on to the punk rock vision of of life and and i would be like this is the fucking worst we're in like I don't, you know, um, Wait, me, you don't remember what we did with when I was in Beauty Pill though, and when, when I was booking the tours, the what I would always say when we'd enter a room, and it was that. But really, do you remember what I would, what we'd all end up saying? But I think I, I, do you remember I would come in and go, I booked this. <laughs> do you remember that? <laughs> yes. And it was somehow everybody, everybody really got into that. Like, well, see that the, it, almost soothed, it almost soothed everybody. Like it, it was, was like, a, no, but that's the thing. The uh, beauty <laughs> pill, beauty pill was a bright. I mean, this is the thing I look at. Since we're you know talking about blue period, 
this is the thing I, that I really find that's really amazing about a blue period is blue period is a stunning thing. I'm really, really proud of it. I really love it. And what a lot of what I love about it is what you did with it. Um, and I look at the, I look at the, um, the, there's a, there's a collage. Have you, have you seen chip? Have you seen Not the artwork? Okay. When the artwork has a, has a surprise in it, I would say, I would say it's almost um, a breathtaking surprise when you first open it because the, the cover um, has uh, the, the cover portrait is a, a mysterious um, and melancholic or, or, um, uh, or, or triumphant, depending on how you view it. Um, uh, you know, mysterious uh, painting um, uh, sketch uh, um, it's in, in all blue tone. And and the back cover is another mysterious um, and I would say distinctly melancholic uh, uh, um, kind of scenario, uh, and it's look the the record looks kind of um, uh, uh, I don't know I would say there's a melancholy to the the, the out external presentation I don't know if you would agree with that, Brian. Yeah. Um, yeah. But uh, when you open the record, there's this stunning collage of these. Um, candid photos of the band and most of them are really fun um the band is smiling having a good time uh being friends um uh being being on an adventure together and it's really in, it's really positive and and beautiful and goofy um and a little bit embarrassing um and uh but it's it's just it's just wonderful um uh and when i look at that i realize that energy that's not that was not the smart and crazy energy if you if you if you were to if you were to like if you were to do the same thing for smart and crazy it'd be hilariously the opposite of that i don't want to see it though <laughs> yeah i know i know <laughs> no one ever will but <laughs> he says cheerfully um uh uh and it and it's i would i would buy that i would buy that smart and crazy record all right <laughs> it you can you can uh, keep that desire um uh but yeah so uh um you know that's the thing about uh that period of beauty pill is that it was there was a positivity to even just the the there was a we're in this together kind of thing which i forget i for fucking got it i forgot about it i mean i feel bad i look at those pictures and i'm like who the fuck what the who are these people you know because in my mind at the time, I was so focused on the idea that, of my disappointment of how the music was being received at that point um, and, uh, and feeling kind of like um, feeling despair internally. Um, as much as I loved everyone in the band, I just was really down. Um, you're talking uh, about beauty pill, not smart and crazy. Oh yeah, I'm talking about beauty pill. I'm talking about the blue period, the time that we were working in a band together. I, I, in my mind, and this is why I've been telling people, and it's why I kind of been insisting that I would like to have people interview you, in addition to me, about blue period music, um, because I think your memory is in some ways more precise than mine, and also um, your vantage on on the whole thing was very very different um and in some ways in some ways there are things that we maybe even are 180 about and i think that's interesting you know yeah no our our thing was i mean i joke about it i've always joked about it but and i don't know if you remember this chad we must have talked about it at some point but when we would tour 
<clears throat> if we would play, if I thought we were we were really good, uh, I'd say, man, that was that was a good show. And Chad would often say, <laughs> "What? No, 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 that was terrible. That we were awful." Like, and then if I had a really unbelievably off night and it was like the worst vibe ever, I would say to Chad after the show, "Like that was rough." And you're and Chad would go. No way, man. We were on. Like we were, like we were. Like it was. Uh, I mean, that's the beauty. That's one, the. That's the beauty. Of... One night when we agreed, and that was we played in Boise. Very funny because Chad and I had made all three bandmates very angry at us. The two of us, we had a band fight. I don't even remember it, uh, but it was a. It was, and the three of them were so mad at me and Chad, and uh, and we played that night uh and and we were really good i don't think anybody, i don't think anybody saw us uh but we were really good and then after the show like the band they were still mad and they left the stage and left all the gear and chad and i are like slowly like winding up these cables like and then we're like shaking and we kind of made our way across the stage to each other and like what is going on like we we're so like we're so tense and then we're like it played so well. <laughs> so, you're so happy. <laughs> it was it was good. Um, yeah. But we didn't fight. I got to say though, we didn't fight on tour. You and I. No, we didn't. Yeah, um, I mean, I, we, yeah. we usually I agree with talk about music and talk about movies and pop culture references and make each other laugh. That was it. So you talked about Ryan. You mentioned maybe like it was the touring of Smart Went Crazy that you think may have may have caused some issues but and then chad you talked about tinkering around with songs after everybody else had tinkered and you tinkered that's one thing we haven't talked about is like you you were also doing production and mixing and engineering stuff in the 90s and even through the 90s and into today right i mean you had yes. you have your your name is listed on credits for some some pretty great records i have a i felt like i think i have a knack for that i've always had a knack for sound and the arranging Thing. again going back to my dad putting headphones on me mm-hmm. and noticing that the drums over here and the, the bass is over here and that kind of thing um uh and yeah that's that's a lot of my that was a lot of my orientation to 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 music um and and it's what i ended up doing professionally um uh and in fact that's my that was my introduction to ryan i think you know with most secret method uh, and when we, we were playing shows before um, we worked together in the studio. Um, but, uh, yeah, that the recording, um, and sound, uh, and production, um, are like things that, uh, that kind of role comes naturally to me. It's interesting to me again, like I said, I had, I just hung out with my bandmate Devin, um, uh, who is in the current, uh, version of beauty pill and was in smart and crazy and that in those years um and uh he talks about the fact that he would come in and hear i would stay a little bit later he would stay really late you know the band would the band would record devin would stay up with me and then devin would go home and i would stay up a little bit later and in the little time that i would you know i would just totally change the mix and totally do these radical things to the mix and and he would he would it would initially pissed him off you know that um that i would that i had this sort of um now i realize now i now i'm older now i see how it came off like he's sort of like who the fuck do you think you are you can just 
arbitrarily decide to mute the drums in this part of the song where I was playing the drums, you don't, you don't get to do that. And without asking me, you know, I would make these arrangement decisions, um, in, in smart and crazy. They were fucking good decisions. I have to say, um, they're on the record. Um, and it's a good record. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, the, uh, where I would sort of, I would make, I would make a radical arrangement decisions in the last minutes of the mix where I would decide this instrument goes on here, this instrument goes off here. Uh, I would sort of, um, uh, you know, organize or focus the arrangement in the mix. And I still believe I I'm going to say, I still believe arrangement and tone are, um, more important than gear and engineering in the, in the traditional sense. I, I care a lot about engineering. I care a lot about sound. Um, but I still believe it's the, it's the kind of mechanical choices and the, um, choosing what is in the field of the vista of vision of the, of the listener, um, and where it's placed, um, in terms of prominence. And, uh, that's what affects, that's what, that's what production is in a way. It's not much more technical than that. So when um, you're doing it, when you're doing it within your own band, if everybody's on board, it's great. Right. But if like you had mentioned, like if some people maybe not on board and kind of see it as like, what are you doing to my stuff? Right. Yeah. Is it, is it different when you're doing a dismemberment plan record, like because they've hired you to do it, are they a little bit more forgiving and saying like, we're going to take your vision or, or do you have those same kind of conflicts within bands that you're working with? I think it's, I, I think it's, um, I think it's a struggle that I have in every, in any, <laughs> any circumstance, honestly, it's kind of the way I am. Um, and I, and I, and as I said, and now I'm older, I look, I'm, I've got a little bit more of a bird's eye view of the, or like I've got a more of a objective view. And I think that, I think that I can be, um, inadvertently rude and not recognizing that I'm taking a license in certain things that I will do. Um, and, uh, and I think that that was the case for the dismemberment plan too. Again, fucking dope record. You know what I mean? Like it's, I mean, you know, I, I kind of stand by those decisions. Um, but, uh, artistically, but probably the way that I, uh, did them. Um, I didn't even realize that, it, you know, you just can't act like, you just get them. You you make the call. Um, when you're working, I mean, you, Dismembered Plan, a very gifted band with a very particular vision and a very particular electricity and um, zaniness, and uh, uh, that is that is it's their music, you know. And uh, I'm, I remember Travis Morrison coming in. Um, I remember playing him the mix for uh, for the city, the song, the city. Mm -hmm which is a great dismemberment plan song, beloved dismemberment plan song. And, um, and I don't remember what I did. Oh, I do remember what I did actually. Um, I turned the guitars into clouds in the second verse. I, I, you know, they were playing guitar, but I manipulated the guitars to be just diaphanous and, and, um, and, uh, and sort of, um, uh, ambient almost and I turned them into powder in a way in the second verse it didn't even occur to me it was so good so obviously good um that uh 
that didn't occur to me that like how it would sound to a guitarist. You know, I was playing there. What is this? You know, it, had they, you know, they hadn't done it intentionally. They, you know, had if it had been something I had that we had introduced into into the song, and they could have done it on purpose themselves. I think they might have embraced it. Um, but you know, the second verse does this thing that, you know, they just didn't expect. And um, in the song, I think it clears the song for this very very beautiful lonely vibe that you you know you hear today. Um, and I play and I remember Travis coming in and playing it. I played played him the mix. And he and as soon as it was done, he said, "Fucking terrible, fucking terrible." And you have to know Travis. He almost I was like, "Is this?" It was so, it was so said so aggressively that um that I thought it was a joke or something. Like it was like, "Are are are you are you mad? Are you are you can't I can't tell if this." And and then he left the room. Um, and then, uh, and I also had put these, uh, sort of, um, fireworks sort of sounds in the chorus of the song. Um, they were very, they were very faint, but they were there and that had not been there. And when the band had, had recorded, um, I thought it was cool and I thought it was subtle and I thought it helped for the, with the song. Um, I, I kind of saw it as a, like a gift in a way to the band. I mean, this is literally, I mean, I mean, I know how this sounds now. I, I can know, I know what you're thinking. Um, but you know, I know that I saw it's some, I was being a dick basically. I, I didn't, I didn't understand I was being a dick. Um, so Travis leaves the room and then they try to remix the song. Um, they made a couple of attempts at remixing the song and then they came back and they heard the, the original mix. They, I think they arrived at a mix that they sort of liked and then they, and then they played the original mix back. And everybody just agreed that the original mix was better than the the mix that they had had you know had done. Again, I I that story is not actually very flattering to me. Now I realize it's you know it's not a it's not a it's not a proud moment for me. Um, uh, I think the song is good. I I'm I think that those choices were legitimate artistic choices. I would have been better had I communicated and negotiated and had we had some kind of understanding of this social exchange with these artists who were very again high level artists they were my peers i was not better than them i didn't have this attitude of like superiority um i don't know if you, you know have you seen this video going around of quincy jones talking about michael jackson mm -mm. okay so there's this video you should you, you google it as soon as we're done you should see it quincy jones is asked about quincy jones is kind of a dick um and he's asked uh I mean, he's a genius, but he's, I don't know. Okay. He, he, you, you, you watch the video, you see what you, you'll see what I mean. He's asked, um, what his contribution was to, uh, to, you know, the Michael Jackson records that he made mm -hmm. the legendary, huge selling world changing Michael Jackson records that he made, um, being, uh, off the wall and thriller and, um, uh, the one after it, I don't know. Anyway, um, bad, you know? Oh yeah. Um, uh, uh, he's asked to what, when we're hearing a Michael Jackson song, what the interviewer, it's a European interviewer, I think, um, what part is you and what part is Michael Jackson? And Quincy gets this, you can see it in his body posture. He gets this sort of arrogant, like, 
I took Michael's shit to the next level. That's what he says. Um, and, uh, and then, and then the interviewer said, says basically, so if there was a conflict between you and Michael, how did that get resolved or how did that get? And, and Quincy's like, we just do it my way. I'm Quincy Jones. He's Michael Jackson. And, 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 you know, he doesn't even say, he doesn't even know how he sounds to a regular person. A regular person thinking is thinking, yeah, that was Michael Jackson. <laughs> but Quincy Jones is like, and, and so he specifically cites um, to, to, to anchor, to um, reinforce what he's saying. Uh, Don't stop till you get enough. And the opening of Don't Stop Until You Get Enough has the violins going, you know, we, everyone knows that part. And he says, he says, Michael, Michael, Michael felt like that, those violins ruined the groove of the song and just, just didn't work. And we're kind of just screwing up the funkiness of the song. And Michael asked that him, that they mute the violin. And, uh, and the interviewer says, so what happened? He's like, well, you hear the song, don't you? <laughs> um, he's like, you don't tell me what to do. Is literally how the interview ends. Quincy's like, you don't tell me what to do. I was not like that. I was just kind of like, I was just clueless. You know what I mean? I, I didn't it have was, The difference is, though, Chad, that with, with the Dismarm plan and with, uh, with Smart and Crazy and with, with every band from when we were growing up, we came out of a very democratic uh, vibe where where everybody's voice, it was important that everybody's voice got heard. And we and it's not like we even understood it. It's just like like that's that's how everybody operated. It was like that was this, the default. That was the default. Like, yeah, this sort of democracy. I um I remember recording uh at WGNS when I was in high school, uh and or actually after high school, but, but with, with Jeff Turner and asking Jeff to, to do something different in the mix and him uh, saying that that was bad and it was terrible. And I was, and I remember saying, but it's my band. Right. And this is how I want the band to sound because it's my band. You know right. what I mean? Like, um, and, or like, uh, um, uh, the other thing is that you had a friendship with, all the guys in Dismarmament Plan. So it wasn't like they they hired you to produce the record and to, to engineer and produce the record, and they wanted your expertise on it. But they also wanted you because you're you were their friend. Like a like. I think the friendship emerged after we were working together. They really they heard Smart Run Crazy, and they liked the way that the Smart Run Crazy record sounded, and they sought me out. Um, oh. And then we became friends. Um, they we weren't we weren't from we didn't have any initial social connection they literally tracked me down they were like they wanted to know basically why the smart and crazy records i think it was my assumption because we're all from the same yeah the same scene we ended up being we ended up being in the same scene but i think that that was that was uh that was less the case for for the plan um can you rattle off other bands that approached you i mean was it was it mostly people approaching you because of what they had heard with smart one crazy yeah, Smart and Crazy had a thing um, where we weren't we weren't we weren't a popular band. Um, and not really until the end of the band where we were able to like sell out shows and stuff. Um, uh, but the people that heard us, that got excited about us, were musicians, other musicians, and it sort of traveled. And it literally, 
I've made a lot more money off of con art in terms of its influence on, on other people. Sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes more famous people, um, who happen to be music lovers and, um, uh, you know, um, uh, in terms of being hired to do, to do work, um, or to be commissioned to do scoring work or, or, or whatever it is. Um, that was the audience for that music was, uh, um, was often other, other musicians. So I think that's, that's how, that's a little bit of how like my creative work has gone. Mm. I feel like that is the case for, I feel like that's the case for, um, for Fugazi as well. I feel like, uh, I feel like smart and crazy had been a band that had not garnered a lot of respect in our first record. Um, and then we had sort of shot to this more uh, higher level of esteem with the second record. And I think, and, and there are some just bold sort of sonic choices on that um, music. And I think Fugazi recognized that. Um, and Ian recognized that, I think, um, like, oh, this kid has a, has a thing. Um, and, you know, they, that's how I got invited into their music. Um, uh you know, that's, that's kind of the way it, it's, it's gone for me. I don't have a, I don't, I still don't have a, like a, a manager, um, as a producer, I don't have any, you know, uh, there's, there's a manager, there are producer management firms. I've never had one. I've never worked with one. Um, I'm not saying I wouldn't, I, I probably would actually at this point. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, my, um, that, yeah, that that part of my uh, that part of my life kind of grew organically, and it became my thing for a decade. Actually, around the time that I quit music, essentially after um, after the blue period, you know, because I was really depressed. Basically, did it become a thing that people didn't know about your background but knew about your credits and wanted to work with you? Like they they had no idea that you had been in bands, or did most people have a pretty good idea that you had had bands before? I think. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know that I think, uh, I think, I think, I think the dismemberment plan, um, uh, reputation had a lot to do with people being drawn to work with me at a certain point. Mm. Um, and I don't think a lot of those people knew that I was in bands. In fact, um, you can hear it's pretty, it's pretty, I thought it was now, now I see it as charming. You can hear, you can see in, um, some of the reviews of the unsustainable lifestyle where someone's like, Oh, this guy kind of rip is ripping off the dismemberment plan. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, not so much. Um, uh, but, uh, you know, like you can hear, uh, uh, I, you know, um, I think you can, uh, I think that, 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 connection was not evident to everyone yeah um uh and it yeah so it and it ended up being a complicated thing there are a few ways that i felt kind of tangled up towards the end of this period actually with actually with ryan leaving the band which by the way ryan left the band um i didn't i did not fire ryan i actually have never fired anyone in beauty pill um uh uh with with you know and i was depressed after ryan left the band um and uh and i kind of didn't know what i was doing and wasn't sure how to proceed um 
uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it became, I, I was running a studio, um, within inner ear studios, uh, for, for, for very many years. And that's what, that was my, that was my job, you know, was running the studio and going to work every day, um, which felt very much like a, um, like going to a shop, uh, going to, um, going to a job where I was, uh, I'm not gonna, it's not, it's not like I was fixing cars, but I was, I, it wasn't that far off from fixing cars in a sure. way. Like my mindset during that period was very much like going and doing this me- mechanical work in a way. Um, I had less of a sense of a vision of, of um, pr- producing and uh, like a vision for reaching the world in an artistic way. I kind of went into a different mode and during that period. Um, uh, and I thought I could survive that. I kind of thought I could, I thought I could just exist that way and be, ha- do it happily. And it turns out that I, the times that I've tried to quit music in my life, it just, it just doesn't take, it just doesn't, it won't, it won't work for me to quit music. Right. Um, like it, 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 my body starts, it starts being bad for my body. It starts being bad. I mean, for my mental health, I clearly do need music. Yep. Um, that makes sense. So uh, your mental health and your body needs music. And, and yet it, are, are you finding that by talking, you know, I know that the hesitation with the blue period, um, sort of resurfacing some, some things, uh, are you finding that talking is, is helping you through it? Or do you still, are you, do you still want to like end your press circuit on this at the end of January? I, yeah, I, I do. I really want to stop talking about it. Um, uh, I, 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 de- I declared a, uh, like a moratorium. I told, um, Caroline, who's our, who's our, uh, publicist. Um, you know, I just, I don't think it's good for me to keep doing this. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's exhausting. You kind of have to go back to a younger version of yourself. Um, and you have to go relive those things. If you're going to, if I'm going to be honest and present with you, um, to talk about this period, I kind of have to, have to relive it. I have, I like it's, there's, I, 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 I don't know. Um, it's like method acting or something. I, I don't know how, I don't know how to, to do it without, without kind of g- living it again. Sure. Um, and then realizing that my memories are distorted and untrustworthy. As I said, looking at Ryan's collage, it's just stunning. It's so beautiful in this very positive and um, friend friendly and um, and there's this camaraderie that is undeniable. Um, and there's this togetherness that is undeniable. Um, and when I in my memory. I just I just think I kind of see myself staring forlornly out the window. Um, you know, it's just not fucking it's not actually what happened. That's yeah. not the actual truth. Which is why I've been telling people. People think that I'm, I'm playing some kind of game when I say you should talk to Ryan, and they're like Ryan, Ryan left the band. <laughs> why would why 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 would we talk to Ryan? And 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 I'm like because he dis- he probably disagrees with me in a useful way, and and uh, and I mean it. Like I'm not playing a game. Yeah. Like I think it's, I think that I think that you should not exactly trust me in terms of what I'm. <laughs> no, I mean this. I think. I think... I think at the time for the blue period stuff, I think, I mean, for unsustainable, I think you were affected by, I mean, you can, you can feel free to counter me, but my, from my impression is that you, 
uh, you were affected by uh, negative or so-so reviews on something that we had worked really hard on. And um, and I was pretty I was pretty unshaken by by that. Um, and so part of the disconnect between me and Chad in terms of our communication had to do with the fact that like Chad would call like you know it was less email back then and and no texting. It was just phone conversations and and talking to each other in person. And it was sort of a constant conversation of um, this is what people think. Uh, this is what people are saying and me saying like i don't hear any of that and i don't see any of that and and then you know we read a review together and the review like you know the the pitchfork review is terrible and i'm like but who cares like let's just keep being a band and keep playing like my my thing was just like go 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 um and it was and we we were we were in very very different different mindsets i can't say that like i can't say i was completely unaffected by the stuff but my my point of view was was different. My point of view was like, like we played Chad. Will, I'm sure you'll agree. We played shows that were poorly attended, <laughs> right? Like that's that's the that's part of the circuit that we were on. Like coming out of the late '90s into the early 2000s, our existing circuit was the remnants of what Black Flag and Descendants had had laid a foundation for early in the early '80s. And, uh, and like all these bands in the nineties, like rode on that, on that circuit. And then, and then that circuit became like, so take that all the way to the early two thousands. And it's like, uh, college radio is changing. Technology is changing. Everything is like a certain kind of professional indie thing starts to happen. Right. Arcade arcade fire. Um, you know, bands say, yeah, that kind of stuff. And, and, and pitchfork was was an existing juggernaut in terms of like uh green lighting a band uh or anointing or not yeah. yeah or not green lighting a band or something like that and which i don't think is the case anymore with that yeah. but i think it was sort of like a, a a new a new power um but anyway whatever chad and i our conversation about all this stuff was was different like he would be down in the dumps about it and i would be usually i could we'd have a really good conversation and we'd we'd like by the time we're done talking about it like chad would feel better and then the next day he'd be like back to it again and it was you know it was so like that kind of stuff was kind of exhausting the the you know which isn't you know when you open up the gatefold you don't see any of that Mm -hmm. you really see a different truth you really yeah it's but it's not it's not an untruth no it's yeah no it's absolutely that's what i'm that's what I'm saying is it's it's radical to me. I think it's I think anybody who buys the record will have the same gasp when you you know, because it's literally it doesn't it's it's not blue, for example. It's, it's exactly right. for me. The reason I made it that way was it's exactly what I wanted. The, like, that's what what I wanted the band to be. I wanted us to be making records, being on the road, laughing like which, you know, which is what we what we did. Um you know, the studio stuff got, got very difficult, like making, uh, unsustainable lifestyle was very difficult. And, um, and the record before it, you're right to be afraid, but, but like our time together, writing songs was always really good. Our time together, uh, playing shows like, and, and traveling was, was a lot of fun. And, uh, so it's, you know, it's a lot, 
like my it is it is i agree with chad i've done one interview chad's done several this is my second i but the one interview i did i texted chad immediately and said i'm drained like i'm uh and and it's partly because i had 2020 hindsight about some of the things i was saying um partly it's like it's just going back uh like one of the questions i one of the questions asked was you know do i ever listen to to the record and i don't um i don't think that's unusual for somebody who's been in a band to not listen to their own record um but i but i i hadn't listened to it since until we started uh putting it together again you know what i mean like i like yeah. i had actually mm-hmm. yeah me either i had i had really um i'd really removed myself from it and and some of it was hard to hear because because i do go back to to some of the things that you know what we did in the studio and um and some of it i can laugh about now like you know uh like i was saying uh rachel did a take that's just awesome she does this beautiful vocal take for lifeguard and winter uh chad and i were always aligned like he would play me something like oh my god i just did this with rachel you gotta listen to it and and i'd listen i listened to rachel and i was just like it was probably my first time hearing her sing like when she joined the band and it just it sounded so good and it was great and then i uh i said this is great this is awesome and chad goes yeah and when i get the right mic <laughs> and when she does it again then it's it's got you you won't believe how good it's going to be and i was just like i hate you it's already done like what are you talking about we just heard the thing and then so we sorry chad but then we go down you know yeah yeah that's we go the, down a rabbit hole of trying to find a mic, trying to find, scheduling more time. We do the thing again. And the take that's on the record is the first take. It's a yes. handheld mic. Yep. And it's the first, it's like Chad hummed it to her. Yep. She, she sang it. It's like her first time singing it. And that's the, that's the take on the record. And like, so for somebody like me, it, it was like, like that's, look, if you, if you want to know like how was the record, record difficult to make, that's just like a thimbleful. <laughs> Of like of like what not just us but bands do it's like the madness of like we're chasing something you know and we're we're trying to but chad is also unlike we're not the same in terms of like chad will tinker you know he'll he'll spend hours tinkering and 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 trying to find something and actually enjoying the process like having fun getting into the weeds of it you know and and i'm i'm kind of like go, 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 go. Let's, let's finish. Let's finish the thing. You know, right. I feel like there's a danger in overworking something. So I'd be, Definitely. You know, I'd be, I would, I was, you know, more afraid of that. And, th- and that's where the two of us sort of divided. I, I, I've got to say that I had, I also had not heard it because it was too painful to listen to. And I had grown this idea that it was just mediocre shit. And, uh, and, um, and then coming to remaster it, uh, um, I just was stunned by how good it is. Unsustainable lifestyle is really strong, interesting music. Um, it really has its own personality, its own journey. Um, and, uh, and all of the songs have a particular feeling. Um, I mean, I, I'm saying this, I'm sa- I know it sounds arrogant, like I'm saluting my, myself, but it's not, I don't, I, I hurt like in going remastering it. I was struck by the opposite, like, which is like, wow, 
this is really vibrant um felt music like there's feeling behind these choices and um and I can't, say it was, I can't say it was all bad for me. I wasn't saying, I, I hope you don't understand. Like when I listened to it again after all these years, it wasn't, it wasn't entire, like I do get mired to certain memories of, of things that happened in the studio, but there are also, you know, there's also an equal amount of positive stuff. Like I remember, like, for example, there's a song called the Western prayer. When I listen to the Western prayer, I, I actually, I don't think it turned out the way I wanted it in my mind. But what I remember from recording it was we recorded it over and over and over again because we were enjoying playing it and we didn't want to stop playing it. There was no reason to do multiple takes of the Western prayer, except that we were, uh, we were all like Devin and I were playing drums together. Um, Joe Wong was there uh, hitting percussion. Um, mm -hmm. I think Abram might've been playing yeah. like big bass chords and stuff. And it was, we were laughing and having, having a great time. The other sort of triumph on that record was the last song on the record is a song called Terrible Things. And I played this bass line uh, that, that Chad liked. And, and we turned that into a song. Wait, I lost the, I lost the yeah, sound. Lost you. I can yeah. hear you now. Yeah. Okay. I was saying that, that for, for Terrible Things at the, at the end of the record, the, that that's another triumph for me because we just because we we turned that song into like I played the bass Chad was like I like that let's make this into a song like that yeah. and like where Beauty Pill takes forever to do anything <laughs> like Terrible Things was was not slated to be on the record that was yeah, not no, it, it was, was yeah which is why which is why we could add the, the this record's over because yeah. we knew we knew at this we knew at this point we knew at that point um, the song that we, the song that we had originally slated to end the end the song was "Goodnight for Real." "Goodnight for Real" was supposed to be the last song on the record, and at a certain point, it was Ryan's idea. He's like, "No, I think this is actually would be a badass way to open the record um, with this song because the "Goodnight for Real" had this sort of conclusion in my mind had this elegiac kind of uh, conclu concluding feeling to it." Um, I had two I, reasons, two reasons for wanting to open with that. One was it was one of the first demos that you played for me. Um, and I was I was all in. Uh, and then the, the other the other thing was that I for sequencing, which I know people don't talk about anymore, <laughs> but like sequencing a physical album, I, I believe in the one two punch. And I thought Lifeguard was a really, really strong song. And and I thought that we could open with this, this ethereal yeah. thing, captivating piece, and then slam into lifeguard. And like, that'd be like song number two would be like, Oh, wow. I'm here. Ryan, Ryan, you were right. I want to be clear. <laughs> you, you were a hundred percent right. I, I feel that anybody that loves that record has got to be like, what, what has to be like, what good night for real was supposed to be the last song. That's a dumb idea. You were okay. right. But the, the other thing about terrible things, of going back to terrible things, that was a triumph. Was we were doing it in the studio. We, it was, it was like a half idea that we had in practice. It wasn't expected to be on there. And then Chad was really like, "No, no, no, let's let's do it." And I was like super happy because I was like, "Oh man, yeah, yes, let's like not say no to this." And then 
we didn't do any guitars on that song. So it's just bass and drum. I don't think there's, I could be wrong about that. Is that true? That's interesting. I, I, I'm, maybe, oh my God, don't make me listen to it again. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, if there are guitars. I think, I think you might be right. I think you might there, be right. If there are guitars on the song, it's only in the, maybe the bridge section or something like that. Or Chad added them after you went home. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> things, he thinks I don't know what he did to the drums <laughs> after, and I do know. Um, I, I can tell you what's going on with the kick drum in lifeguard at winter. I definitely a hundred percent know, but, um, the, uh, <laughs> or like, or like when Devin is playing in, uh, uh, I don't know what that song's called quote devout. And when I'm playing and when Devin's playing, it's like a hodgepodge of all kinds of stuff. But the, um, but anyway, the other thing about terrible things is like, uh, it's like, um, the lyrics, the, the lyrics are really thoughtful and really like it it look i've written lyrics chad has written lyrics it takes a long time to write lyrics to you know like to like nail it it takes like if it's a struggle and i feel like chad like got those lyrics together got the got the vocal melody together like that and i was like and 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 it's uh, it's not it doesn't need to be explained that song doesn't need to be explained like anybody who listens to it anybody who listens to it is like i get this I get this. Right. Right. So that was like, and it's written. That was like a, that was like a magic like uh, moment, you know, where, uh, you know, there's a famous story about smoke on the water uh, for deep purple is, you know, the, it's like the only song that people know by deep purple, you know, like it's like a, like that's uh, it's what everyone learns how to play guitar on, you know? Right. And apparently that was like a, a song that they just did at the end of a, recording session it was like a throwaway like no right. nobody took it seriously they were just like this is a, this is a yeah this is whatever and they just did it fast and that turned out to be the thing so like i'm not saying this is our smoke on the water but i'm just <laughs> saying it's 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 like a good positive you know memory you know yeah i and i feel like it, it it's an it's a needed kind of a, a unpretentious cl- cleanser at the end of the record I, I mean i love it i think it's i mean that's this is what i'm trying to say like it, it's I'm really looking back. I, I would like to. I, I'm I'm really happy about Blue Period, and I and I want it to sell, and I'm happy that it's selling. You know what I mean? And I um, uh, is it hard for me to talk about? Is it painful for me to talk about? A little bit, yes, because I remember feeling like I was failing, and I remember feeling, I remember feeling like nobody was really understood my particular advantage of that. Um, uh. Uh, I have a lot of dark feelings of not not betrayal of just sort of feeling a, um, alone, a little bit alienated um, during that period. Um, uh, but I, I I'm struck by how strong and vibrant that the the record is, um, uh, and and how how particular it is, um, and how it actually kind of doesn't sound that different from later period uh, beauty pill. It's not this like gulf between that and describes things that I would, that I would, that I am, that, and that I had thought in my mind. Um, it's kind of a thing that we kept doing and built upon, um, and not something that, that was tossed away or pushed away. I, I, I got a lot of things wrong. Um, but, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you something that, um, this is important to me. It is, uh, it's, um, it's, I, I find that it's not, it's less important to other people. Um, the song, The Mule on the Plane, 
um, uh, was a song that I um, initially started with, uh, found these guitar chords that sounded in my mind like uh, Brazilian music, like um, like Antonio Jobim or or um, you know Gilberto or Golfo uh, Mipanima, kind of um, uh, this sort of dusky, um, uh, nuanced, sort of sexy. A sultry Brazilian music. Um, that was that's what Mule in the Plane. The chords sounded initially to me, uh, and and I started to think about, uh, and this is important to me, like th- this origin of this song. It kind of, and I don't know much about South America. I don't. I've never been there. Any, any you know, I read Hundred Years of Solitude. I, you know, I I don't have much insight into South American culture or. Um, or even the drug war, which is the song ends up being sort of about. Um, a lot of this is happening in my head, but it's important to me. Um, uh, it, I started to think about the fact that a lot of that music ended ended up being called lounge music. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. A lot of this, a lot of that really harmonically rich and um, uh, sophisticated and um, deeply felt Brazilian music ended up being cast as a sort of cheesy. Um, again like lounge music uh this the, which is uh lounge being associated with luxury and being associated with um uh kind of pleasure and sloth and not trying too hard and just having just chilling out but um to me i was like well it's interesting that I, you know to me there's a i mean what i do know about south america is there's a lot of poverty there's a lot of struggle and um, and it's interesting that we associate these tones, these these sonorities, with you know having a cocktail or whatever. Um, and there's probably a lot of struggle behind that music. And I was sort of made, so it started to make me think about. Um, uh, sorry, I got to make sure my computer's plugged in. It started to make me think about uh, um, poverty and wealth. Uh, and so I wanted to write a song about poverty and wealth and it's important to me that that's that people understand that that's what's being discussed in that song um and i it's and i wanted to talk about poverty and wealth being right next to each other and so the song opens with the line there's a mule on the airplane sitting next to you um and the reason for that line uh is uh my idea of the song was that it's written to a uh a, a western um, maybe uh, a well-off or um, privileged uh, uh, person who's who's you know uh, sitting in on a plane, and they have no idea that they're sitting next to a drug mule, um, someone whose life is really hard, and someone whose life is uh, involves a lot of um, fear and a lot of uh, toil and struggle and risk. Um, and that was interesting to me to talk about because I wanted to talk about empathy. The whole thing that I was interested in, and in general, the whole thing I'm interested in in Beauty Pill in general, if there's one topic that is most interesting to me is empathy, is having thinking about someone else's experience and caring about it. Okay, so uh, I'm talking, <laughs> I want to, give me, give me a second. I'll, I'll be fast, uh, but it's important to me. Um, so, uh, so to me, uh, um, I wanted to talk about wealth and abundance being next to deprivation and starvation and as which often happens in the Western world. 
It happens all over the place. It happens in cities. It happens in the rural areas. People who have and people who have not are often right next to each other. And, uh, and that, that, was in, that was important to me to talk about. And, uh, and the song opens, the, actually, the actually opening line is, look beyond the things you know. And I feel like um, that, that's, very, that's a very important line. It would be, if I die, I think that's the best thing I've ever written. Um, and when the song came out, no one gave a fuck to interrogate any of this, which I considered to be my failure. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I felt like no one, no one asked me, like, no one noticed, Hey, that song kind of sounds kind of, kind of South American or Brazilian that which I thought maybe it was like, is this, is that in my head? Like no one else hear it. Also the song kind of sounds like an airplane airline commercial from the 1970s, which we, which you can hear in Rachel's backing vocals. There's this, ah, sort of um, like, which is very kind of uh, almost sarcastically pretty um, in a very specific kind of commercial sort of way. And I thought that was poetic. There's all these layers of feeling and thought that go into that song including the use of the word mule, which is a disgusting word. It's a dehumanizing word. There's so much going on in that song. And nobody gave a shit. Nobody asked about it. Um, there was zero curiosity about it. I think the pitchfork motherfucker uh, 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 compared it to Jawbox or some shit. And I was just like, and it just felt like completely like, I, I don't know what I'm doing with my life. And that's, um, I want people to hear that now. People are excited about it now. People are, people are very excited about this record. And I want people, I hope that people ask, you know, where the, I think Beauty Pill is an intentional thing. Um, the way we use sound and the way we use melody, there's kind of thought be, put behind. I mean, as Ryan calls it tinkering, but I feel like there's an intentionality behind every little gesture, you know? Um, and I feel like that's something that we're recognized for now, which we were not as recognized for back then. In fact, being like that for some people was just not punk. You know, being that interested in details and interested in um, and interested in uh, kind of like th those layers. You know, I don't think that some people just didn't. You know, didn't... yeah, but I mean, I I definitely recognize the work and the labor, like on cigarette girl stuff that I didn't play on. You know what I mean? I saw I could hear. How much and the tinkering line is really it's I'm like not, I'm not offended no, by it. No, no, it but it's really it comes like I'm safe because you know I was in a practice space with you and Abram and Joanne, and you know, you and Abram would be going down a rabbit hole of of like, well, this note goes with this note. No, this one goes like and you'd be trying to find something, and me and Joanne would be like cracking jokes on the side, and then she, you know, she'd be like, Look at them, they're just tinkering, they're just like, you know, she'd get she'd get on. You know, but it's I I know I know I think the real the thing about that era and what we were doing was we were trying to find a way. We were we we felt like we had arrived at something, but we were still also very much growing. Yes, it was it's like it's like a weird journey. We wanted to be we wanted to be prolific. We wanted to actually put out a lot of releases, and at the same time, we wanted to be slow and deliberate and thoughtful and like. 
like we were like we were a little bit uh you know all over the place in that regard like so um uh like i thought i thought that like you know we this like the the pitch not to keep harping on it but like the pitchfork review i was like clearly this person doesn't understand us and anybody who listens to the record and sees us or knows us or anything will know that this this review is off it's yeah. not us that's off you know what i mean and then i uh and then i was just like we need to play more shows we need like and then i felt like an urgency to play more shows and i think chad felt the opposite i think it was yeah. like uh what are we doing why why play more shows when nobody what what is this like so um and i was just i was like we're ta- like and you the other thing is we were once or twice a week at my house for hours practicing we felt like we were a band all the time we talk about beauty pill all the time we like we just everything is is the band the band the band into the world we didn't exist yes like we we weren't even a thing to consider in the world we weren't we weren't traveling as much as 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 you know i would have liked um yes. you know we, we did do some big tours we went to california and back we went to chicago and back we did like i did book several several tours and we bought you know two vans and uh you know it's like so we did try but yes. that that circuit for booking for diy tours is hard it's yes. And I, I, and I, I want to say another thing, which is that I'm embarrassed. Um, the modern me, uh, looking back on this stuff is embarrassed how easily wounded I was. Um, and how easily, uh, and, and like, if you're, you know, I mean, Ryan and Aaron, if like, if you're raising kids, resilience is the number one, uh, trait you want your kids to, to have, I don't care what other traits the ability to get knocked down and then get back up. Um, those are ba- that's basic Sesame street shit. I thought and- you were going to say about how they are so mean to us <laughs> that we need to be resilient <laughs> because man, our kids tell us how they really feel all the time. They're like, um, they're like you're no, terrible. I'm saying, I'm, I, like I look back and I'm like, why were you so, what, you know, I had just gotten accustomed to, um, you know, it, it, I mean, this is just, this is like a, a very not, not something I'm not proud of. I had just gotten accustomed to this idea. You put out a record, everybody freaks out. Uh, you know, your life levels up and then you keep moving. You know, that's what, that's what had happened to me. Um, as, as a sequence, I, I, and I mentioned in the press release, the sequence for me was con art and then, um, emergency and I, and then, uh and then uh and then cigarette girl i think and then the argument and that's like four things that just like that were embraced and and i could feel the energy around me trust me you can feel the energy when people are excited about you you know it's like you can feel it and i got used to that and i just thought that was normal which is just I, it was just too. I was too stupid to realize that's a fucking streak. That's a streak. That's what some people people have a streak, and then and then then the, then you then you lose the streak. That's the way. I, I can't believe I'm hearing you say this because I never thought about it. Like I never thought about your streak, and then if you think about I, I mean I not that I didn't do anything, but I 
like nobody was be- beating down the door to do it you know to find my bands do you know what i mean or like not like we had like crazy good reviews we had some okay re- you know what i mean like i think i think that's another really telling thing about the difference between where we were you know what i mean like psychologically i yeah i just i and i just this is well this is going to be my career this is what i'm doing and you were like you were coming from like let's jump in the van kind of thing i was and- like well i play to 12 people a night that's how it goes <laughs> I like I had I I had remembered the difference of literally the difference of of the like turning around in people's eyes the way people's eyes looked at me from smart and crazy now or even to smart and crazy con art and that shift and I just got used to that fucking shift yeah and then and then it just kept getting more intense the dismemberment plan emergency and I which is like for a lot of people of these records the only one they know mm. um you know, uh, maybe, maybe even over the argument. I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's crazy. I don't know. Um, but, uh, you know, I had just gotten, yeah, I was just like, and, and I didn't, and I just didn't understand. I just didn't understand that, that, uh, that's just not how it goes. And I'll say one other thing to put myself down, um, which is to say this story is absolutely cliched. There's nothing like every artist goes through a period where like shit doesn't connect Scorsese goes, you know what I mean? Like, it's like uh, the, the, the list of people, it's just a standard thing that happens in every artist's path, no matter how great they are. And my idea was like, I'm the only person who's ever experienced this. Nobody knows how I, you know, I mean, no, it was just, you know, I was thinking about, we were playing someplace out West uh, and we're playing a basement in the daytime and there were five, five of us on stage and there were four people in the audience and you, and you said out loud, you're like, we outnumber the audience with like actual, like, like actual exuberance or something. <laughs> but that was a pretty low point for us, you know, like, and I think, you know, when we do a lot of that or enough of that, you know, it takes its toll. You know? There are there are people that uh, love Beauty Pill that would be or would be shocked about these stories of the band, you know. Like when I talk to people now, they're like, they don't believe that ever really happened. Um, yeah, we played to four people. Yeah. yeah. So I know Ryan, you got to go, but let yeah, me yeah. Let, let me let me wrap something up. So I was I was I wrote for a website in the in the early two thousands, and I was actually yesterday looking the website. The guy keeps paying for the URL to keep it going, although we haven't, like, nothing's been on it in over 10 years, and he's not ever going to. But I was reading the message boards, and um, uh, kind of to correlate a little bit, you know, maybe, I don't know necessarily your scene exactly, but I was recalling uh, helping Scott McLeod from Girls Against Boys in his band Paramount Styles book a show in Columbus. And I was reading a message board thread saying, this is a dude from Girls Against Boys, and there were five people at the show how can that be so i think it's a problem like you know you guys were mentioning that you, know, you so we that 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 sort of coming out of the 90s and into the earlyish 2000s and 2005 2008 whatever it was hard to get people into shows for people who had track records so so it's funny to say this we were we were playing in um we were playing in omaha uh, scott is an influence on me by the way as a singer Oh, anyway, I can see yeah. that. Um, 
Yeah. Well, I, anyway, I, we were playing in Omaha in the, um, and we were playing a VFW hall and nobody was at the, I mean, it, it was, it was a dismal turnout. And the two guys that were setting up the show were very apologetic. Um, and they came up to me and Chad, uh, Chad, because they, they knew Chad from smart and crazy and they were excited to, to book his, his new band. Um, and me, because I was the contact because I had, I had booked, you know, I was the point of contact. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were both on the stage doing the sound check and the, the two guys that set up the show were apologizing to us about the low turnout. And I remember saying, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe, maybe some people show up, uh, you know, the show hasn't started yet. Like, thanks for having us. I'm glad we're here. It's okay. I was kind of like, it's okay, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> and then, um, uh, one of the guys said, one of the guys said, uh, yeah, it just sucks. Cause nobody, uh, everybody, nobody really, nobody really cares about, you know, stuff that we care about. Like we really like you guys and we're, we're, we're psyched you're here, but like everybody just, everybody's obsessed with Saddle Creek. And I, didn't know what Saddle Creek was at all. <laughs> and I said, in a fit of like optimism, I said, uh, I was like, I, you know, Saddle Creek, they could be really cool. You know, it's okay that people like them, like, like, was talking about them, like they were a band. <laughs> and I was like, it's cool if people just like different stuff, man, it's all right. And you should have seen this guy's look like, he looked at me like I was a stone idiot. <laughs> <laughs> you know there was there was a phenomenon back in those days um which i later experienced actually singing with travis morrison um in his solo disastrous i mean way more disastrous than anything we're talking about here yeah uh, solo solo career um uh uh there was a phenomenon back then where you were not supposed to like you were supposed to avoid certain shows that pitchfork had when had there was a culture like you don't go to to the show of the thing that's been dissed. Right. Um, like you specifically don't want to be there because it's going to be dorky as hell. Um, and uh, and that doesn't that kind of um, kind of these aren't the droids you're looking for kind of uh, effect of of uh, of internet media is not the same. Um, for example, now um, if there's a if there's a really stupid review of something that I do, I can talk about it. And I have some social power at this point. Yeah. Um, and I'm confident enough in what the fuck I'm doing that, you know what I mean? Like I can, I can, I can actually affect culture in a way that I, c- I couldn't have done back then. Um, uh, and there's an interaction. Uh, there's a much more, um, uh, there's much more kind of parody. Um, between the 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 critic reviewer in fact there's a weird fucking stand culture um where reviewers people who say negative things about popular records are like stampeded on by the fans who are incensed that you dare talk about um you know taylor swift's uh, how how dare you you know that kind of thing didn't exist back then there was there's a much more of a a melee thing that happens now um that didn't exist back then there was back then there was sort of a gatekeeper um and you know you we stamp your thing with a grade and that's that's that um 
and nobody comes back from nobody comes back from that. I think Beauty Pill at this point is one of the few survivors in terms of the esteem that we have now in 2023 um, that went through what we went through and, you know, kind of still it's, you know, it's a much stronger thing than it ever was. So I think to close out, we can put the bow on it, right? By saying that we heard about your origin story and now we're hearing the redemption story. It's like this full arc, right? Like we've heard the. Well, the only thing I feel bad about is Aaron in this conversation because, (laughs) um, because, uh, I, my, my, my desire to involve her, um, is, is really because, uh, she's the future and, um, and, uh, and that is important to me too. Um, that, uh, what we're talking about is the past and the history and of this really, I mean, I have to say classic shit at this point, the stuff that we did, Ryan is classic shit. Um, uh, and, uh, and Aaron is so Aaron's um, Aaron was initially reluctant to participate in any blue period. Aaron and I have always done um, interviews, joint interviews together on anything that since she's joined the band, I've always insisted people often want to talk to me. I've always insisted that we, you talk to both of us because I think it'll give you a more realistic and 3d portrait of what, who we are. And she's my equal. We're, we're not, you know, we're, it's, she doesn't work for me or, you know, that's not, you know, and I think people get that. Um, and the reason I wanted to involve her in, in this interview, um, uh, was I, I really wanted to connect it to these ideas, to the future. I know we didn't get to, to, to really do that. And I apologize to Aaron for that. I, yeah. I just, I just wanted to explain, I, I may yeah. have, I, I misgaged it, but you know, that was, that was the reasoning behind it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. Very good. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you about anything and everything whenever whenever thanks, you want man. to talk thank about you. anything yeah. thank you thanks for listening to support the podcast visit www.patreon.com forward slash dig me out and become a monthly subscriber at www.digmeoutpodcast.com where you can find links to our facebook twitter and instagram pages Thugs call for self-immolation Plunging beneath your station They've come to slice open